everybody, and welcome back to Season 6 of Sequelizers, a.k.a. Prequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me, also as always, is Mr. Matthew Stogden. Okay, so I was called out, I think it was maybe the Monster episode, because of my less-than-perfect Norwegian pronunciation. So I've decided to say something to all our wonderful Norwegian fans out there. Now that might not be perfect, but also, fuck you. I think it would, maybe if you did it without the huge build-up and pressure on yourself, you might have just been like, and been like, oh, that's good Norwegian, Matt. Moving on. But you made, a big, you made a big fucking show and tell of it, didn't you? I had to point Flourish it out. Flourish with a cape and a top hat and everything. <laughs> they don't see like it, the magician-looking motherfucker you are. I am very warm. <laughs> And of course, you heard his dulcet tones just a moment ago, Mr. Tim Matum. It's clobbering time! <laughs> <laughs> that was good, that was Golf good. Golf clap for you, Tim. Well done, well done. That was done. very good. Anything ben, I could have done... Ben Grimm is here, everybody. I mean, because there's so many great quotes from the thing. The original. Oh, uh, no, no, not the original. The remake. But um, uh, We're going to have a lot of fun with that. I know. Oh, um, the, you mean the thing? The thing? But, the thing, but, the thing. The original. What? Yeah. 1950, no. The crow, the man, the bird, the thing. (laughs) The man, the bird, the thing, the crow. (laughs) Oh, the the thing versus the crow. Sign me up. Let's do that. Wait, do we mean Grim the thing or? Yeah, sure. The thing versus the thing versus the crow. So it's like like aliens versus predators versus Terminator. We have the thing versus the thing versus the crow. Fucking hell, sign sign me up. I mean, to be fair, you could do the the thing from another planet because it's. It's like a Frankenstein monster that's nothing Easy, like yeah, the thing. Yeah. It's a vegetable man. So, yeah, it's just vegetable man. So, Michael Chiklis, bad crow. Michael Stipe. Moby, Moby, Michael Stipe. <laughs> 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 Michael Chiklis. <laughs> that's, a, that's a deep cut. Never mind the Buzzcocks reference for you all there. Yeah, that's intense. <laughs> anyway, if you haven't already guessed from Matt's flawless Norwegian and Tim's flawless. fantastic fall reference... We're fixing the prequel known as The Thing, which is a prequel to The Thing. Because which is a remake. Which of, is a remake of The Thing from Another World, from Another Planet. It's Another World. Another World, I think. Another yeah, World, yeah. Does, yes. Which yeah. is based on the book Who Goes There by John yeah. Campbell. Where it goes, Who Goes There, then The Thing from Another World, then The Thing, then The Thing Again. It's like, mm-hmm. you motherfuckers, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And just, just to kick us off, to get into like why this film is a shitty, shitty prequel. They couldn't think of a title, so they just called it the thing. <laughs> yeah, Fuck I don't, you. I Fuck don't, no, I don't. no, 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 no. No. Anything is better than calling it the same name as the film that it is the prequel to. Literally yeah. anything. Chuck a fucking subtitle on there. Call it a thing from another world if you have to, because there's enough fucking separation. Yeah. And spoilers, I'm writing this one. I did change it. So it's like. If I can do it, you cunts can do it. <laughs> Did you call it some things? <laughs> I, I thought about a that. A bunch like, of some things. Some things, yeah. A thing, not the thing. I always, in my brain, I just think of this as the thing 2011. Yeah, yeah me too. Everybody does, that's how we refer yeah. to it. Yeah. And when I say it out loud, in my mind's eye, there is parentheses 2011, yes. close parentheses. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes <laughs> entirely. Oh, I should point out, now I don't know exactly about this in terms of the precise, and let's face it, 2020 has caused a lot of already weird fucking things to happen, uh, but 
I'm quietly convinced the 2020 remake has been announced. Uh, yes, uh, there is a remake in production as we speak. Yeah. So a remake of the 1982 The Thing, which is yes. a remake of the 1951 The Thing, based on the yes. book by John Campbell. <laughs> so, and I feel, I feel they're definitely going to call it The Thing. Oh, oh, absolutely! They're going to call it the thing. Yeah, a hundred percent. They're wrong too. They're always wrong too. Yeah, but you know they published an expanded version of the original book uh, late last year, oh, early this year as well. Frozen something or it wasn't. Uh, Frozen Hell. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, which I think pretty fucking cool title. Maybe go that for that instead. Title. Yeah, but the thing is so iconic that they can't not. Let, let's kind of cover this because this is important here. It's a whole um, fucking mess, is what it is. We moan quite a lot about the current trend of taking a title and making it reductive because you can't just have Sherlock Holmes and the ba- ha- you know the Hound of the Baskervilles. It has Harry to be Potter something- and the Blaming Blair. Yeah. So you end up with the thing from another world reduced to just the thing. In the same way that if we were to do that now, say for example the thing didn't exist and we're doing a new version of the thing from another world, we call it just call it the thing. We'd be like, oh, that's bullshit. In the same way that you're doing a film that's a remake of Ned Kelly and you call it Ned. Or, you know, you're doing a remake of... Everything is a single title. And we we yeah. joked about the... Um, yes, precisely. Uh, what was it? The It was in the Poseidon episode. We were talking about oh. that. And it was like, it's going to be Nautilus. Nautilus like, or oh, Nemo yeah. or some shit. Yeah, Nemo, exactly. Yeah, Nemo. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Exactly. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, and so, 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 for example, I mean, uh, around the early 2000s, the only thing I'd imagine that the thing prequel would be called is The Thing Rising. Or something like that. <laughs> Rising I mean, the obvious one is the thing colon origins. Oh, or, okay. yeah, true. the thing begins. Or, mm. spoiler alert, none of these are my choices cause, just because I think they're Good. cheesy. But yeah, you'd have to do... Apparently mm. they, they couldn't think of a subtitle that works. I think, you don't even necessarily need a subtitle. And I, I've, I've nicked my title, spoiler alert, from something oh. else that's in the okay. sort of canon of things that I really enjoyed. So, yeah, mm. it's, it's a whole other thing but there's like comic sequels that have a mm. bunch of um mm. subtitles there's eternal vows and questionable mm. research and climate of fear all pu- published by dark horse that are all like sequels of yeah. mccready going off and doing his thing and fighting things in like guatemala or some weird shit and it's just like sure mm. and you mentioned before matt when i mentioned the thing in the john carpenter trilogy um I talked about in our favorite trilogies, thematic yes, trilogies. Yes. You mentioned the video game as well, which is also That's a sequel right. to John Carpenter's 1982 The Thing. That's right. Yes. Called The Thing. That's right. <laughs> um, and yeah, so there's lots of like weird spin offs, and like Frank Darabont tried to make a sci fi channel mini series of it in like the mm. mid 2000s. And it's just, just been well, I think nearly remade of- and nearly prequeled and nearly sequeled about 100 times. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said they couldn't think of a good title to go along with it. And you're like, yeah, because there's nothing good to go along with the thing. The thing, as a as a new interpret, and I don't think it's even necessarily a remake. Maybe a little bit unfair. I think mm. it's another adaptation of a book, mm. and therefore takes a lot of similar beats and things. But obviously, it's it's the inspiration at the end of the day. But most importantly, it's a standalone piece. Yeah, it works because it has a okay. I'm going to say this. I don't think it's any way uncontroversial for us as a group. The Thing is a perfect movie. I agreed. Agreed. One of, one of my absolute favorite films. Yeah. Ever fucking made. flawless. Massively underrated at the time. Genius. But it ends in the perfect way. Anything else, like Inception style, like, oh, did the spinning, uh, do a sequel to Inception. Did the spinning top stop spinning? Who gives a fuck? That's it's not the important. Point. 
Yeah. The fact that we've been talking about Inception for the last mm. 10 years and the fact that people have been talking about the ending of the thing and coming up with different theories for the last yeah. nearly 40 years at this point yeah. proves how good that fucking ending is. Genius. Yeah. Perfect. It's, it's, a, it's a perfect unit of film. Like, it, it... Yeah, very much so. The idea of expanding the mythology of it, to me, is just so pointless, and I think we'll all agree on that. Like, I don't want spin-offs. I don't want to see, oh, like, 20 years later, another thing comes down to Earth. Like, I, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I will, I will it, very much get into this later, but yeah, I like, totally agree with you. Some stories just exist to be that thing, and then it's good, and then you leave it. I feel like the best case scenario you can get out of this sort of stuff when you're reapproaching a classic and an iconic one of that, that, that is you have one that goes, that was actually really decent. I don't mind that. That didn't offend me in every way I thought it was going to. Like, for example, Doctor Sleep. Mm, Doctor yes. Sleep as a film, especially, is a fantastic follow up to The Shining. Is it The Shining? Is it fuck? Is it anywhere near as iconic or good? No, of course it fucking isn't. But it's a great follow up. It's another like, really good addition, makes a lot of sense, celebrates both the book and the film very well, etc, 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 etc. And obviously I'm speaking out from the film purpose, only I haven't read Doc Sleep as a book, but I've heard good things, etc. I've done the but other it's... way around. I've read the book, but not seen the film. So, Oh, yeah. interesting. I like the book as well. So, yeah. Okay, well, that's pretty fair enough then, yeah. yeah. Um, so yes, I, I do feel that um, you can carry on, but the best case scenario you're going to get is something that's going to be like, oh, I mean, for example, as much as I hate to say this, Blade Runner 2049. Yep. I didn't need it. Yep. But it was pretty damn fucking good. And I'd like Blade Runner 2049. But I wouldn't then just say it's as good as Blade Runner. It's like, hang on now. Yeah. <laughs> no. There's an interesting thing tying, tying to Blade Runner there before I come back to my point is that the thing and Blade Runner came out on the same day. Whoa, the same yeah. day. The same day. Holy shit. Like, like maybe my favorite day in the history of cinema because that's like yeah. two of my top five films. And it you was... know for well, the critics would have seen both of them and gone, they were shit. Yeah, they both bombed. They're yeah, both absolutely yeah. bombed. Because E.T. came out a few weeks before that, and yeah. it was like, we like aliens! Yeah. Not that alien, we want the cuddly kind of alien. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we are three days gone from the 38th anniversary of the release of The Thing. And, Holy uh, shit! Yeah, 25th of June is the anniversary for both Blade Runner and The Thing. So uh, at time of recording, we're recording this on the 28th. So there you go. Nothing says summer Spoiler release alert. like the Arctic Tundra. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And we don't know. I'll get into this a little bit more when I was writing it because the, mm. the, the writing of this has been a pain in my ass for the last week and a half. But it has been like 29 degrees here in the UK. Yeah. And I'm sat here being like, and this character trudges through the snow and freezes to death. And I'm like, oh, that sounds blight bliss. Sounds I am a person who can, I can handle the snow all day long. I cannot handle heat. I am a, I am a large fat man who runs very, very hot. And I cannot handle anything above like 18 degrees. I'm like, no, I'm sweating. I'm done. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just, take I've 22 been... degrees of the breeze at best. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah that's about my limit. I'm just picturing you as uh, Bill Bailey in the episode of Black Books where he, I am Bill Bailey. Yeah, where he can't <laughs> where he can't overheat. Dave so syndrome. He's, he's trying to visualize the Arctic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's absolutely what I was doing. Absolutely. Would, would you guys like to know some trivia? Always. I don't like the heat. Would you like to know some other trivia that's more relevant to the thing? Yes, yes. please. The sound of the Arctic tundra, the noise of the, the, yeah. the sort of desert sounds, uh, is from the desert, I believe. 
Um, as in like, cool. like Sahara style Gobi Desert sort of thing. I oh. believe I want to say it's the same sort of stuff they use like Lawrence Arabia or something like that because they like they couldn't get the right sound obviously on an actual barren thing. So like desert sounds the same. It's like oh good good point because it's, it's a vast yeah, yeah. empty well, the, the Antarctic is technically a desert. Yes, uh, precisely, yeah. precisely on scientifically. But yeah, I find that interesting, but also pointless. Um, it's it, it is interesting that commission about Blade Runner and thing coming out on the same day, for example, because. I can't imagine the trailer. Imagine doing a double bill good. and seeing those both oh, for the first man, time. Mate. Yeah, yeah. What a fucking, I think you'd have to do. Would you do Blade Runner first, and then no? I'm thinking the thing, and then like chill out with Blade Runner, maybe. <laughs> Does compared, one chill out with Blade Runner? <laughs> compared to the tension of the thing, yes, you do. I think I'd rather watch. Okay, here's my thing. Okay. Oh fuck! Because yeah, you, the whole pro- the whole problem is both movies change you as a viewer. Whether you like them or dislike them, because uh, you yeah. even think to yourself, "Am I real? Am I a replicant? <laughs> yeah. Am I real? Am I a thing?" <laughs> See, the problem with Blade Runner at that point was, though, it was the theatrical release with Harrison Ford's oh, Half-Fast. Yeah, that's true, that's true. And I wonder if Roy Batty felt more alive in that moment than he did in the rest of his life. <laughs> yeah, that's what he just said, Harrison. Thank you very much. And apparently, he—not to spin off on a Blade Runner tangent, but I will because I love that film. <laughs> He hated the narration so much, and so did oh, Ridley yeah, Scott, yeah. and they and they they battled the the studio for it. He just did a really shitty job. Los Angeles. It's twenty nineteen. Replicants are robots. <laughs> are people. Look like people. As as a director, I don't want to say this, but as a director, if you want to sabotage a take, <laughs> fucking sabotage it. <laughs> because otherwise, they'll try and salvage that shit. No, 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 Matt, Matt, we need extra coverage for this thing. Uh huh. Yeah, sure you do. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Replicants or robots. Perfect. Perfect. I'll take it. Um, I bet that's the that, only fucking take he did as well. Every time you watch a Star Wars movie or something like that, and someone mispronounces something, and you're like. Someone not by the camera say, no, it's it's pronounced this way. <laughs> yeah. Or like Benedict Cumberbatch pronouncing like bump Cumberbatch, sorry. Penguins. Uh, pe- yeah, exactly. Penguin. It's like Penguin. That's the best take that they could get. <laughs> is this maybe this is the secret as to why all those water bottles kept showing up in Game of Thrones in the final season? Just yeah. trying to sabotage it yeah. as best as possible. <laughs> it's shit, it's shit. They won't use this. They'll have to rewrite the whole thing. Just yeah. leave the water bottles in. We'll be fine. So before we get on to the uh 2011 prequel because we do kind of need to talk about that as much as you know John Carpenter's The Thing is amazing the thing I'll recommend if listeners out there and if you two haven't done it listen to the Carpenter and Russell commentary track Mm. for the 1982 film it's maybe my favourite commentary track ever made Kurt Russell giggles like a schoolgirl the whole time (laughs) and and you can literally hear them pouring whiskey yeah, and like you hear ice clink into a glass, and like, duk, 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 duk. like, are you doing this for like Foley or ASMR in the eighties? Like, what is this? And John Campbell would be like, "Wow, yeah, that's a that's a really scary looking monster," and then, and then Kurt Russell just cracks up laughing yeah. at anything. There's a compilation of Kurt Russell, how I kind of learned. Oh, I need to go and see this and listen to it on YouTube of just Kurt Russell's giggles, and Carpenter will just say like. Yeah, that took that took fifteen hours to shoot. <laughs> and there's, there's Russell just giggling in the background. For years, genuinely years, I've been saying there are two brilliant types of audio commentary. 
maybe, maybe three. And the first one is the commentary for Cannibal the Musical, where Trey Parker and Matt Stone get, uh, and the rest of the cast get sloshed off their face and then spend the whole film bitching about Trey Parker's ex-girlfriend, who sort of inspired the movie. And it's it just, it's one of those things like, oh no, this is terrible. The second one is every single John Carpenter and <laughs> Kurt Russell commentary, because they sound like they're having the best time. And you're right, yeah. Carpenter will say like, that dog, that damn dog, and that hat was really difficult. To, and then Kurt Russell will say, I remember that Oh God! How oh, the dog that bit Bill on the third shoot. That was fucking hilarious. It's like this is the best time with the most opposite individuals. The other, yeah. the other one I would say is a sort of like for snippets. One is Ravenous, a massively, massively underrated uh, horror film by Antonio Bird, which I absolutely mm. fucking adore. They get one exclusive audio track with just Robert Carlyle, and he what? Why? Isn't, he's in the film. He uh, yeah, but like, just is he the lead? It. He's sort of, yes, him and Guy It feels Pierce weird to co-leads. just have like, let's just pick one actor. There you go. <laughs> Off you go. Yeah, I think the thing is at the time, this was DVD where they wanted to fill out with as many audio tracks as possible. Oh, or many so there's like 15 different commentaries. <laughs> of like, yeah. So here's Robert Carlyle and his mate Jim, and here's Jim and his other kind mate of, Dave. For yeah. this fuck's sake. So okay. they put Carlyle, in, also because it's easier to record that way because obviously there's fewer people in the room and scheduling and that sort of sure, thing. Sure, yeah, yeah. So they give him a whole thing and he just like, his character doesn't turn up for the first like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. And he's like, he just sits there quietly listening and watching the film. <laughs> and he's just saying, yeah. Oh, uh, there I oh, am. There you go. Oh, it's a bit cold that day. I saw, uh, not great cut. You know, it's based in the wilderness in the frontier in Colorado. What's a nutty scene? That's my bum. <laughs> and then about maybe 10 minutes after that, he goes, I don't, I don't know really what else you want me to say. <laughs> <laughs> and then the audio track basically stops and goes for silence for the rest of the movie. Fuck I'm me. like, why did you include this useless <laughs> shit? The other one is the start of The Scorpion King, where The Rock introduces himself, and with all the charm of The Rock just says, I hope you bought this film and didn't borrow it with your friend, you cheap bastard. <laughs> I thought, yes. So we can all agree that the thing is just a, a, a fucking flawless film. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. brilliant. The only thing is it requires a certain stomach and a certain taste. And let's face it, it's an 80s movie, a certain pace. Mm-hmm. Because it is, it gets it wastes no time getting straight into it, and it's brilliant, paranoid, and wonderful. But if you sit someone down to watch it, they have to know what they're getting themselves in for. And I don't mean this disparagingly, it's just it's face it, it's a 40-year-old film. Yeah. As, as is often the case born. when we were watching it. Um I have seen it before, obviously, like I said, it's one of my favorite films mm-hmm. ever. Emma had never seen it before. Mm. So she was watching it for the first time, kind of as usual. She's playing Xbox on one TV. I've got the the film on the other TV and she's kind of glancing yeah. over and she looked at me. The fuck is that? And it was the dog, like, trying, it's fate, the dog's face splits open and she's like, the fuck is this? And I'm like, it's the thing. That's, that's the bit that it's like most famous for. It's like all the horrible transformations and stuff. Yeah. That looks fucking horrible. I'm like, yeah, I, that, that's the, yes, I know. Thank you. Legendary robot and creature effects. Thank you very much. Like mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. revolutionized practical effects and how they were used in horror and all this kind of stuff. You just scream. That's forty years old, madam. <laughs> yeah, no. it belongs then, in a museum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and a couple of minutes later, she was like, "Young Kurt Russell's good looking, isn't he?" And I was like, "I mean, yeah, sure, but maybe pay, pay more attention to the special effects now." No, <laughs> no, that's fair. I'm, I'm completely allowing that. Oh, yeah. he is. He's he's a handsome man. Just a glorious beard. Oh, the the beard and hair beard. combo. I'm gonna get that, that fucking hat. That fucking hat, <laughs> which is in the commentary. Uh, he yeah. pisses himself about. Apparently, 
I, th- I think he says something along the lines of like, I don't know why we had that hat, but goddamn, I was going to be wearing that on set every chance I got. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like uh, this is a scene with the hat. Oh, and I'm also on screen, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) It's when he first puts it on to go into the helicopter and it's just just this fucking 10-gallon monstrosity. It's like, I'm a pilot. I have no room in my cockpit for this fucking hat. I'm going to wear it all the time. He's the fucking pilot as well, exactly. Like a a helicopter pilot with notoriously cramped little cockpits. And he's just got this like three-foot wide hat. And you've got to have giant earphones on to be able to hear it. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yep. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Um, So yeah, should we get on to the 2011... Yes. Pre-make, remake-y kind of thing? Because I think... For me, going into this, knowing I'm gonna, I'm writing it and stuff, and I had seen yeah. the prequel before, but only once before. So I really kind of like sat down and analysed it for my my turn, I guess, on, on, on rewriting it and all this kind of stuff. And there are a couple of key things I think it really gets wrong, and oh yeah, things things I will address or in in some cases not address purposefully in my version of it is that. You do not want to give the thing, the alien, a fucking origin story that takes yeah. away the horror of the whole thing. I know I'm jumping way far into the film here, but when they go into that fucking saucer, I'm like, do we need this? Do we need yeah. this Predator 2 bullshit that's just like, uh, oh, let's hang out with all the aliens and in the saucer and stuff. If you do that and make it like alien rather than Predator 2 and make all atmospheric and fucking desolate and cool, mm. fine. No. Let's have a big fucking wacky CGI alien, and we'll get to the CGI in a moment because that's another fucking problem. A big wacky alien and stuff, and they had a whole plan to do this big, uh, like the pilot alien. They built this whole huge animatronic thing with like multiple yeah. creepy eyes and stuff, and they were like, nah, needs more CGI, which we will definitely talk about. But it turns into that fucking beam of blue light. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Why Why is any of this happening in this fucking movie? Either commit to this shit and go full sci-fi and ignore the fucking base and have them oh. in the saucer for the most of the film, or don't do that at all and don't even try to explain the fucking thing. It, it annoys me. And people have had theories for so many years of like, oh, it's the pilot of the ship. It killed the pilot and that's why the ship crashes. It's, it's, it's a bioweapon on the cargo of the ship and it's unleashed and blah, blah, blah. Prometheus! <laughs> yeah, it's all these like Prometheus-style theories and they were just like, nah, it's just explore this crappy-looking set, I guess. Ugh. Yeah, I think, like, there's such a... Obviously, we don't know what the kind of native form of the thing, the alien, is, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's part of the joy of it, you know, uh, of, of the original film. And... You know, but we can assume from what it looks like when it does its transformations that it's pretty fucking weird, and like the the spaceship set that they have for it is so like first draft humanoid generic, kind of thing. Yes, absolutely. Like B movie bullshit. Yeah, there is there is nothing that is the the only thing that's interesting about it, which I did quite like, is the weird like holographic display moving block type thing, mm. which I was like. Oh, that's kind of interesting. I guess that's that's meant to be some kind of form of controls, and the fact that it's constantly shifting makes sense for a kind of shape shifting creature, I guess. But mm-hmm. even that, it because it's so blocky, 
it doesn't feel like it lines up with what the alien is, which is this kind of shifting protean creature um, mm. that has no fixed form. And and it just feels, I mean, it, unless the, the, the idea that they're going for is this is a ship that belongs to someone else and it is this escaped thing or whatever. That, that is that is the thing they're going for, yeah. by the way. According, according, according to the thing, some of the commentaries and some of the interviews mm. on the, in the prequel, mm. he is supposed to be an escaped prisoner essentially right that, that that kills the pilot and that's why the ship crashes so that ship is not designed for the thing yeah. it's designed for other aliens that the thing has then imitated and stuff like mm. that but, so. but i think if you're gonna do that then you need a little bit more of an ex an explanation but equally don't do that because i don't want any explanation of where the thing <laughs> comes from that, that too yeah exactly and i think the big problem with that is the the thing, the monster thing that jumps out of the ice block in the 2011 film, like, I don't want to see that shit. Mm, I don't yeah. want to see... The, the horror is it, like, when a human stomach explodes or the head, uh, mm. like, un, like, peels like a fucking banana, when a dog's face explodes out of another mm. dog's face. That's the cool shit from the thing, is when it's imitating yeah, yeah. other stuff and makes it grow... It takes the known and makes it... Lovecraftian and unknowable and terrifying. Yes, precisely. when you give this thing a face, and there's a whole again a whole other fan theory debate of like, oh, that is the body of the original pilot. Mm. That's that's still an imitation. That's not the original thing. Yeah, maybe the thing has no actual form of its own. There's no like yeah final final form thing. It's just a mm. that's another imitation again, and it's forever just imitating things and loses sense of itself and all this blah 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 blah. But that initial design is so fucking, as you said, Tim, like the sort of generic and boring when it like spears the guy through the chest with its little tongue piercing thing and stuff. It's like, this this looks like it's in fucking Cloverfield. Like, get this oh, shit oh, out of oh. here. I don't want this in my thing film. <laughs> I want, you don't know who the people who are the thing are. That's what I want. Mm. I want tension. I want fucking drama. I don't want B-movie schlocky bullshit, which is ironically enough, what the original 82 movie is kind of full of, <laughs> yeah. but the tension is not from, oh, where's the alien? It's, who is the alien? Mm. And we know mm. that none of those cunts are the aliens because there's an alien under the fucking shed in the corner because <laughs> you can see it. Like, well, then just kill that one and you're done. Like, why is this a problem? It, oh, it just takes away all the kind of, like, mystery and horror of all, and they commit to neither explaining things or maintaining the tension from the first one. So it's just this weird mashup of like, ah, oh, I guess it's an alien thing and it's sort of imitating humans, but not really, but sort of. Okay. So you're just, you're just not picking a side. Brilliant. Okay. I can make quite a controversial statement now, I realise. I want an origin story. No, um, okay. I said earlier that The Thing is a perfect movie. It's not. How dare you, sir? Tell that to when, Kurt Russell's magnificent beard. <laughs> when, Matt it's not perfect, when Matt finds out you're saying this, he's going to be pissed. Matt will be furious. Matt of the past and Matt of the future both know <gasps> Matt of the present. He's a Matt thing. Oh my God. Ah! That's no. how, we, how we determine um, you're not the real you. It is imperfect for one reason and one reason only. In the same way that Predator is imperfect, you could improve this film 20 times over. What? By, uh, yeah, yeah. What? By removing the opening shot where oh, the ship oh. comes to Earth. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. Exactly. And we, we all ignore that happens. It's like, yeah. it's like, if you just didn't have that in Predator or the thing, they'd be like, this is fucking great because you wouldn't I, know I, it's I, coming. I forgot that one. Not only did I forget that was a thing in the thing, Oop. 
because I just edit that out of my brain. Like you said, you, you forget that that's the yeah. opening shot. Like, yeah, it's the opening shot on the helicopter, right? No, no, it's fucking not. Uh, okay, great. Um, and yeah, I was watching a video talking about amazing, I think it was a Red Letter Media, the YouTubers, sure, podcasters, sure, sure. those guys, comparing Predator and talking about the influence that that film had. And they made the comparison to the thing. like, And they played the opening shots like mm, next to each thing. other. <laughs> Why? Why the fuck, as you said, Matt, why the fuck are these in those films? They it's just there to make, make people it, know it's a science fiction. That's exactly it. That, yeah. is, that is to let the viewing audience know and fucking test audiences and all that crap. Uh, let them know, like, oh yeah, there's going to be an alien. Because if we didn't have that and you get the reveal of the sorcerer in the ice it's and shit so like cool. that, that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to know where the predator's from. I don't need to know where the thing is from. No. That and that's ruins the whole of, thing. Yeah, that's kind of the thing because you talk about like the, the confines of the shitty fucking. It is kind of the thing, man. It's very much the thing. <laughs> oh, uh, the the confines of the design in the thing twenty eleven version is that we've already seen the fucking ship twice over, once flying through yep. space, once in the ice, exactly. and also, um, you know, Blair. He tries to build one when he's in his little cabin. Where he's got his little noose and stuff, and under there, he's building a ship to escape in. Um. To, to basically to, to get out and there's like a tiny version of the saucer and you're like yep. oh yeah and that's the problem you have this quantifiable element and because and I can't stress this enough the thing 2011 does a lot of stuff what's the things a lot of stuff <laughs> to honour the continuity to the point that the intricacy is fucking crazy you're like, the attention to the, I, I, I yeah. watched the I've got the uh, like Blu-ray double disc sure, thing sure, sure. both both of the things. <laughs> God, I hate that I have to say it that way. I know, I know. So in the, there's an extra feature on the, the Blu-ray, the DVD, where they just have full station and they talk about the continuity between the two films. And it is unbelievable the attention to detail that they went through mm. of they literally built a like a floor plan blueprint of the, the station stations. of the base. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Using the measurements of the fact that Kurt Russell is like 5'11". <laughs> Yeah. So they know he's 5'11", and they scale everything to that, and they place the ice block exactly perfectly. Mm. And they're, um, okay, spoiler alert, I will address these in my film as well, because I think it's a really cool thing to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like the axe in the door is another one. Mm. Obviously, the guy who's committed suicide and frozen, all the blood's frozen, all that kind of stuff. They go to meticulous detail in so many different ways. And in other ways... They just get it wrong and they just don't seem to Thank notice you. and it's What's really it weird. Me? So take, for example, the guy, the, the, the suicide guy in the 82 version, he looks fucking terrified. He's horrified. Yes. He's like, um, but in, in, an, in a cut scene, in, an, in a, a deleted scene, mm. he just kind of quietly commits suicide, basically. It's a weird kind of like, okay, yeah, I, I can see how that works, but yeah, I fair think enough. You can control a set, you can't control an actor. <laughs> you can say, can you yeah. do it like this? Yeah, I'll do my own thing. You can, no, you can meticulously place a fake axe three inches to the left if you yeah. need to, but can you perfectly replicate the guy's face? You're like, mm, yeah, I'll just kind of like go. Here's a question. So, the only things we know about the prequel elements, the stuff in question that there's so lovingly recreated, shall we say, is when McCready and the others find the Norwegian base and they get the little. But you know, autopsy analysis of it. Going, oh my God, what happens here? And it's all yep. just you know, piece by piece. And this fills in the blanks of what did happen, which is fucking stupid. And you also have video footage. Yes, the footage of the Norwegians finding the saucer, 
pulling out the yeah. ice block, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And yet, I don't remember in the prequel them ever using the explosives, the thermite charges or whatever they are, to blow it up. You are correct. They get that wrong. They Fuck, even how in the can 1982. You? <laughs> that's the thing. They meticulously get like, oh, this is the door where the axe is hit, and then mm. three, four inches to the left is the place where that's Kate blows so... up with a flamethrower. So there's a hole in the wall at the end of the hallway there. So yeah. they're matched up perfectly. And uh, this is eight feet from this thing. But McCready specifically says, huh, they're placing thermite. He says that out loud in the dialogue <laughs> of the fucking mm. 1982 film. Mm. And they're just like, nope. Fuck it. So and weird. and the the thing that really annoys me, um, first of all, I fucking hate how this film ends. The fact oh. that Kate, Kate just like I, yeah. I, 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 I you like mean the not little, the ending where it bleeds into the thing because that's fine. Uh, that and we'll talk about that in a moment as well because yeah, that, that's yeah. Im- immaculately edited and brilliantly it, done. It really is in, yes. in like a Rogue One way, which is weird. Um, yes. But the whole Kate kills Carter with flamethrower thing because of the earring. I like the earring little touch. That's quite cool. But then she just sits there and resolves to die for no reason. Like, okay. Really? Really? You're ending a film that's all about, like, survival, basically, and she just sits there and dies. Okay, cool. You don't want to try and get back to the base or, like, explore the source more or do anything like that? Do the original. Yep, just, just replicate the original one. That's fine. But they take that, like, weird thing of, like, a lot of people saying, well, how come if she sat in the big, like, snow crawler thing, where the fuck, how come McCready and that lot don't see the snow crawler when they did the, see the massive overview of like the, fond of phrase, the valley that this fucking UFO created? She's apparently on the other side that they never explore, and there's a little side cave that, that they go in, and that's their oh. access to the UFO. I'm like, why have that be a thing? Just don't do it if you have to come up with weird ways to explain this bullshit. Because mm. as you said, they have this immaculate, ridiculous, going to the 10th degree of attention to detail and then just make shit up and ignore it. Mm. You're like, you can't do both. You either fully fucking commit to doing like what happened in Norwegian Station beat for beat kind of thing or do your own thing and ignore that shit. You can't do both. And it mm. really annoys me how much effort and amazing, like the sets in this film are fucking incredible. Yep. They look amazing. And to go to your point, Matt, about the, the, the transition between the two films with the, the dog chase, mm-hmm. they shot this all on film. None of it's digital. They specifically shot it on film to make it look like yep. an 80s film. And when we were watching it, Emma looked over and was like, when was this made? And I was like, nine years ago. <laughs> Really? I'm like, yeah, they did it on purpose. They kind of do a pretty good job of making it look like an older film. And, you know, it's all, I mean, yeah, it's not perfect. Uh, but we'll come back I, to that. I, but yes. I appreciate the effort they put into it. That's the key point, the effort, yes. And, and then the shots. So the shots you see at the end of uh, Lars and Matthias chasing the Malamu through the snow are literally cut with the actual footage from the 1982 film where them in the helicopter, so them looking, looking up at uh, Lars with his rifle mm, yeah. is, the, is the modern actors. And then when it switches back to just off the, the side of the helicopter the dog, looking think, yeah. at the dog, yeah. that's the 82 footage mm, remastered. Which is fucking brilliant. And they did that in Rogue One. They got a bunch of the old pilots from the 70s. They do. And the red leader. That stands out more. <laughs> old four standing by. Wow, that guy's moustache is insane. <laughs> like, it's just sudden radical moustaches happening. But yeah. if I didn't know that cut was there... 
with the thing 2011, like per- mm. perfectly merging into it, mm. I would never know. It, it's immaculate and how it's just like, yep, this is 40-year-old footage, well, 30-year-old footage at the time, yes, and here's the, here's the modern footage. Like, that is brilliant. This yeah. is really well done. Why are you ignoring all this other shit? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, so much of this film is the problem that we come back to again and again of the, the pattern Oswald, I don't want to see where the cool stuff comes from. Correct, yep. and correct. that original walk through the Norwegian station is to kind of borrow from from video game terminology. It's perfect environmental storytelling, yeah. and it's yes. the kind, and it's yes. the kind of thing that we would see replicated. It, it, in, it's gone home. It's dear Esther. It's yeah. everybody's gone to the rapture. All those kind of like walking mm-hmm. sim games yeah. and stuff. It is, yeah, it, is, it is something that has now become so popular. You know, is walking through this environment, even stuff like Bioshock and things like that. And oh, yeah, definitely. Piecing, Last of Us as well, yeah, absolutely. Piecing mm. together what has happened from the wreckage of what is left, you know, yes. and there, there being questions that you can't answer, like, who, like where the fuck did, like, what, what was it that, you know, this, you know, this axe got, you know, thumped into this wall? You don't know, but you know something bloody went down, you know, and, and all those kind of things. And answering those questions even if you do it perfectly it doesn't it doesn't really enhance the experience it takes away from it so so much of prequels unfortunately is shining a light on stuff that you do not need a light shone on stuff that is more yes, interesting yes. in the darkness you know going back to the alien you know i i i appreciate that they do some effort to kind of conceal that original design when it's in the when it's in the ice block and you never really get a mm-hmm. proper look at it. But I don't want to see any fucking look at it. You know, I agree. It's yeah. it's like like you were saying, Jack. You know, the the the, the interesting thing is that it sh- when it shows up, it's in the form of a dog and it's it's already replicating and it's already that's a hundred times scarier than a fucking big floppy rubber monster that is just yeah. like a normal a normal alien for want of a better phrase mm-hmm. it, so there is also the released like you can you can check out the ice block thing if right. you really want to yeah they, they they built an actual alien creature for it yes and it just looks like a big fucking floppy praying mantis motherfucker like it's got big claws and big like scythe looking things and it yeah. just looks like a gen- generic alien mm, yeah. which is way 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 less scary than this dog's face is going to explode and kill all your dogs yeah. like, mm. what what the <laughs> fuck because imagine that moment not knowing that the dog is the thing and then the dog is the thing yeah that must I, I don't remember I think I'd already had it spoiled for me in some way or another it's, it's the it's the Luke, no, I'm your father. Vader is Luke's father. Thing. Mm, like, yeah. I went in already knowing some of the big twists Yeah. by the time I got around to seeing it. But yeah, I, the, the, the problem with this, and like I said, I had a huge problem writing this. I, I will go into this once we get into my fix a bit more. But the answer to this is you do not fucking do it. I think more than any other sequel or prequel, maybe we've ever discussed in the history of this show, do not do a thing prequel, you fucking maniacs. Yeah, this but, this is the one. But yeah. we had to, so yeah. yes, <laughs> I was stuck with it. <laughs> Here's a statement: I think this film, if you had no knowledge of the thing whatsoever, the, any of the versions, is a perfectly good standalone film. It's fine. It's, it's fine. A, this is yeah. pretty cool, but it's fun. It's it's functional. I think is a, is a fair statement. Now, the thing. 
1982 is <laughs> arguably the greatest remake of all time. Mm. Yep. Partly yep. because it is a readaptation of a story and takes own thing, but most importantly, it, it, it is goes a, back closer to the origins of the book as well, which is interesting. Precisely, yeah. it takes the different. Yeah. So rather than okay, and this this is my sort of the crux of my argument here. Rather than doing a recreation, rather than a backward-looking film, uh, sorry, it's backward-looking is a bit more derogatory and insensitive than I want it to be, but you know what I mean. Rather than being a regressive sort of film where it looks back to the 80s, the 50s and those are the B-movie stuff, because Carpenter very much loves that sort of style, but is an inspiration for what he's doing contemporarily at the time. It wasn't, I'm going to do a George Lucasy thing, and, and, and I suppose that George Lucas is a good example. I'm going to you know, bring the things I like about old serials and put them into a contemporary setting, make Star Wars that kind sure. of thing. I'm going to take all yeah. this and filter it through a contemporary lens. He's not making a literal fucking uh, Ed Wood fucking B-movie. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he has a big flying saucer in it, but that's the kind of... But it still has a very 80s design to it. The difference is, The Thing 2011 is not doing that. It's doing its best, you say, taking the footage from the 80s version, polishing it up, filming on film, making sure that all the styles are very 80s, even though the frustration is it's being shot for a 2010 sort of audience. So you've got a lot of shaky cam stuff, you've got a lot of the design, the direction, yep. the editing is very that's, contemporary. That's the problem. Again, some it, of the visuals look like I they are. I think it's a lack of commitment. Yeah. Again, yeah. I, think I, I think I'm totally agree with you. Mm. Spinning from your argument into the argument I was making earlier, like... Mm. They don't commit to the 80s vibe a bit. They could have done a real, like you said, in all the, the modern like action shots and all this kind mm. of all that kind of bullshit and really commit to the like tracking, the, the tracking shots and the still shots. Like so mm. many of the the thing, 1982's version, is yeah. just like a shot of a room, almost like Kevin Smith style, if I want to use a derogatory <laughs> term. Um, sure, sure. where you just get like a group of people in a room talking and you don't know who's the monster. And that's where the tension is. Or you see, as I said, they're, they're like you get the the shadow in the hallway or the the silhouette and you don't know whose silhouette it is and all this kind of stuff. And it's yeah. just a still shot. You see the dog approach very slowly. You don't even know the dog's the thing. The dog yeah. just hangs out and it goes in like, oh why is the dog going into the bedroom? That's weird. It's I not. It's not like oh, it's not a GoPro strapped to the the back of the door, <laughs> yeah, exactly, and the dog yes. is sneaking in, and it's got a little like CGI grin on its face. Yeah. Like that's what they do, and they try to, uh, I, they try to blend a bunch of stuff, and I just don't think it works. And yeah, the special effects are a huge part of that as well. Oh, because we'll, we'll definitely get to we'll, we'll yeah, definitely get onto that in thing, a second. Yeah. yeah, I think the thing is, the thing is ultimately, the problem is there's not enough pivot. So the again 1950s schlocky B movie film to this suspenseful psychological thriller about paranoia and stuff. And I think much as I always say about recreation and uh, imitation, like a fan film, for example, uh, as cool as it is to see like a Star Wars or a Power Rangers fan film, whatever it's going to be, it's never going to be better than what you've already seen because it doesn't go further with it. It doesn't elevate or push it forward. And the thing is all about you. Mean, you say about like for, I'm, I'm kind of. 50-50 with your statement about not committing enough. I think they commit too much at times. I think it's mm. the problem is that the the, the 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 creative team are committed. The studio is not. That's the thing. It's that's the studio the interference, and then that's a huge part of the special effects as well. Yeah, I think to to kind of address two different points here. Yeah, for one, the the production design really frustrated me because as much effort as they put into recreating. The 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 uh the layout and the sure. environmental kind of the storytelling. Uh, they of... mapped it out using Kurt Russell as a measurement. <laughs> yeah. 
That is madness. Like, that's insanity. Hat. Like, that is great. But then you look at the costuming and hair and makeup, and there mm. is very little to tell you that this film is taking place in the spot, 80s. Spot like, on, Tim, absolutely. Like, where, where the first film is so iconic for everyone having, like, these giant, huge beards because they've been in the Arctic for ages, you yeah. know, like... And, and men from the 80s in the fucking Arctic, of well, course they look it's, like it's that. It's got that 70s, 80s crossover. You still have a guy who's living, like, disco and rollerblading, or sorry, roller yeah. skating around. Yeah. It's that beautiful uh, time capsule piece. Yeah, exactly. And, like, there is... There is none of that, and and you can, and it's interesting because I think if you made this film now, it would lean so much harder into the eighties nostalgia because that's become oh, yeah. more and more yeah, thing as time has gone on, and you yeah. know they be, maybe be more annoying for it. Yeah, it possibly. <laughs> like I, I mean, that's the thing is like it might they. It is can, the thing, Tim. You're you right. Can, you can stop, Jack. <laughs> You're pulling the me. I like saying solo. <laughs> you can do that in a way that is really annoying. Or you can do that in a way that's good, and it's it's a shame yeah. that where you look at the certain aspects of the production design, they've been so good and so clever about replicating the original. And you would hope that if costuming and hair, if they decided to put the same amount of effort in, it would mm. feel authentic rather than like a, a a parody or you know the '80s through a lens of modern day. Do you know what doesn't look like a '70s film? The fucking Godfather and the Godfather Part Two. Yeah. That looks like all the decades <laughs> it's supposed to be set in. But to but to kind of tackle the idea of like this film exists in this weird limbo where it's it's harkening back to the eighties, but it's also trying to be a contemporary film. And mm. I think I think yeah, it, it, it's in this weird limbo where clearly the studio. Well, I say clearly, we don't. You can never know exactly what's gone on. But, you never but, tell. But I would imagine that there was some pushback from the studio about like we can't make this two eighties because we don't we don't know how to market it. Like you know, or it's going to turn some people off who who've never seen the original. And sure. but also they clearly they ha there's there's some part of the creative team that is like we know we want to make this a very loving homage to the original and honor it and and try and hew as close to it in spirit as we can. And so you get that tension that 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 means you just have this confused film. And I mm. think that you could have got a lot more interesting. I don't know if it would be better, because mm. I, I think, like Matt says, I think this is, in some ways, it's a very adequate film. I think it does make some basic mistakes, but, but, but that can come back to that. But yeah, I think you would end up with a more interesting film if you had gone, for example, and we're talking early 2010s, Mm. With a found footage version of the thing. Oh, very interesting. Or something like mm. that. And 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 taken this very contemporary, like we say, you know, you, you look at how mm. the thing from another world is very 50s and the thing, 82, is very 80s. Mm. Like, take yeah, something that, that makes it distinct point. it distinctly late, you know, 2010s, early, you know, whatever. And Paranormal activity and all that shit. That was yeah, yeah, exactly. That's time, a yeah. really good Take idea. Take that kind of, that formal lens and apply it, but still have, you know, the authenticity of the mm. the, the location, the setting, all that kind of stuff. Can I, can I steal that for my pitch? Yeah. Post, post my pitch. <laughs> that's, that's really good. I'm not going to lie, Tim. You kind I mean, of, because uh, yeah, that's like really fucking clever. Yeah. Like I say, I don't know if it would make it a better film, but it would well, make it a hell of well, a lot more well, interesting. I, I can make it work with my pitch very easily, which is good. Yeah. Um, but... <laughs> But before we get to that, we need to talk about special effects because the first film the is so revolutionary with with a 23-year-old Rob Button 
like making these incredible things that literally mm. hospitalized him because mm, he worked yes, for too yes. long. He was doing like 18-hour shifts and sleeping on set and shit and he got like a like a lung infection and mm. exhaustion and all kinds of shit. And God bless the people at Amalgamated Dynamics who did the oh. special effects for this film. They tried so hard and we've hinted out already and funny enough, they also did the uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine special effects. So, uh, hmm. uh, <laughs> wait, what? Are you I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And Dragon, Ball, and Dragon Ball Evolution. Oh, wow. my Maybe, maybe the worst film I've ever seen. Um, they also did, like, Spider-Man 2. Amazing. Alien okay, vs. Predator. Okay. As, um, it's a company. You always get different artists. Than different exactly, projects, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But around this sort of time, they did X-Men First Class, which I think looks great. For the sure, most part. I agree. It's pretty, 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 pretty good looking. Um, <laughs> You got Godzilla 2014. So, that's a good yeah, looking that's film. A good looking film. Oh, um, and like, a couple of years after that, it's It 2017, which I think is a fantastic looking film. Yeah. However, it, I am pretty, pretty, pretty clear from all the interviews and stuff. It's not their fault because they built no, everything, no. and I mean everything again, immaculate attention to detail, practically. Mm-hmm. The whole fucking thing. There is a whole separate version of this film that will never see mm. the light of day mm. where every creature is practical. And yep. there, are, there are, I mean, I'm sure there, there would have been CGI for certain transformations and stuff like that, but the studio specifically came back and were like, you are not doing this practical effects oh, bullshit. God. You are, people do not, this is the, it's we are so living painful. in the future right now. We need CGI coming out your fucking ears. Mm. So... You need to turn that immaculate, brilliant, amazing sculpture and animatronic mm. design into a big old pile of shit because that's it, what audiences and that's want. So expensive. It's, it's so like, expensive. Why would you just waste? Because yeah. again, it's the nation. It's, it, it, this is a, this is the thing about gimmicks and trends and why studios are usually talking right out of their big fat assholes is the idea that <laughs> it's like filter it for three D. We didn't shoot for three D. Just put it on there. Like, oh, 3D's it. a thing. You have Post to do conversion's it. not a good thing right now. Do it. Bang. Clash of the Titans comes out and the trees start moving and hair, you know, <laughs> and hair moves <laughs> on its own. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. People start throwing disaster. up in cinema. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, oh, we weren't ready for this. And then Martin Scorsese films Hugo in 3D for 3D and goes, this is a pretty good film. It's like, yes, exactly. You fucking idiot. And I think <laughs> it's just a case of putting in CG in to make it look like it's like, what makes a good film these days? A lot of CGI, allegedly. And the problem is they're like, good, put it in. And it's absolutely crushing and so painful because Button is like one of the genuine, iconic legends of the industry. There's quite yep. a few with practical effects and, and a lot of people contemporarily now will always say, I saw that and thought that's the most disgusting, visceral, beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. I mm-hmm. want to be able to do something similar. And again, back to the nature of homage and imitation and all that sort of stuff and replication, the movie, to its unfortunate detriment, tries so hard that it ends up recreating scenes almost shot for shot with like the reveal of stuff. It doesn't do anything new in that regard, which is why it really fumbles. And Universal saying, yeah, reshoots. Oh, why do you want to reshoots? I think, was, was the official phrasing of the reshoots? It was like, to enhance sequences to make it clear for story beats or some Correct. bullshit like yes, that? Yes, yes. Like, and, and there's like, are you sure? Well, also we can colour everything in with a big fucking CGI crayon. It's like, oh, yeah. fucking hell. And you get, you get shit like the, um, I can't remember the character's name. So I know every character in the 82 version like name actor hairstyle like (laughs) tell you tell you every hair of the beard on his face (laughs) but in the 2011 it's like you you know that that one of the white guys he uh 
his face like splits in half in the helicopter mm-hmm. and it just looks bollocks and again my judge of like bad special effects if I'm going like oh this looks like crap it's one thing because thanks to sequelizers I feel like I'm a lot more kind of switched on to that kind of thing sure, and we've sure. we've talked about you know becoming switched on to your critical thinking of analysing stuff and all that kind of stuff yeah. but if Emma is sat next to me and goes <laughs> what the fuck is that? I'm like, I know, right? This looks like shit. (laughs) This is the one from nine years ago, not the one from 38 years ago. It's like, Mm -hmm. the other one, but but the monsters look completely different. I know, it looks completely (laughs) different. It looks shit. And then you end up with, and I I hinted at earlier with the the pilot alien thing, which they built a whole fucking Farscape looking motherfucker to be the pilot alien. Then you get just the, the big, like, Doctor Who face on a stick bullshit that is just the worst final conflict villain like you get the big thing in the basement thing in the in the 82 version and then you just get this oh you get the big Sander Carter the terrifying thing thing. of the thing's final form and much when they're mid-transition is that it can only be what I can assume cancer looks like it's just this oh it's this hideous visceral, bloody, yeah. disgusting, pussy thing. And it's just unknowable shape with bits of... And that's what makes it truly terrifying. Bits that you do recognise. That's mm. what makes it like... Ugh! Suitcase full of body parts. Yeah. It's, it's the, the... For one thing, I mean, they, they do have a couple of moments of practical effects in mm-hmm. the 2011. And they look True. pretty good. Yeah, True. they do. Yeah, And it's such a shape because, like, it is that thing of... Jesus Christ. <laughs> the, hold on, Jack. The, I didn't. The, I don't. I, rest, I, know, I restrained I know, myself. Off, off, yeah. uh, the 82 thing, there is so much about it that is about, I mean, it's, it's a body horror film and you need that visceral, you can look at those, those creatures and go, they are really in that room. Like, may, okay, maybe they're not actually alive, but mm. the actors there are reacting to physical objects, physical creations in that room mm. and when you take a like no matter how good cgi is humans can tell and this is not good cgi and, it's uncanny valley shit isn't yeah it? and yeah. so you have actors who are reacting to stuff that isn't there and we as an audience can look at you know the the thing the alien and go that's cgi i can tell that's cgi I'm not scared that's a, of it. That's a that's a giant but human face I'm on a blob with same, legs fuck this yeah. yeah i'm not having the same reaction to it because it doesn't it doesn't have that physical weight to it it you know it uh, you know there's a there is a a concrete reality that that especially bad cgi cannot replicate yeah it, entirely true and it's like when you have a moving person because we're familiar with people we see them all the time we our faces are designed to look for them we don't necessarily see an animal or the best example of beautiful cgi is backgrounds and environments and you go wait that isn't real mm. holy shit because you wouldn't know people you know immediately they're not fucking there, real. there's a film that i always use an example of like here's a film that's full of fucking cgi that you have no idea it's full of cgi mm. and that is the wolf of wall street because ah, all yeah. the fucking backgrounds and anything yeah. that is seen out of a window mm. is not real and they're, they're yeah. sat in their little like holiday home, just mm. living up the good life and stuff. None of that is real. That's mm-hmm. DiCaprio sat on a fucking bench in the middle of nowhere, and mm-hmm. it's like it's like episode two of Star Wars. It's a big <laughs> fucking green screen, yeah, yeah. but it looks incredible, and you have no idea. 
um, David Fincher's Zodiac, same thing. You're like, yes. Wait, that street isn't real. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. of course not. We shot a lot. What? But, it's so enough, cool. Keeping on theme, I guess. Parasite is another example of that. That exactly. film is full of fucking CGI. Brilliant. And you have no idea. And you get that tracking shot, no spoilers, I promise, of them mm. going through the streets when they come back yeah. down from the hill and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So much of that is CGI. It's astonishing. But it's, but it's blended with a set that they actually flooded with water. Mm-hmm. And combining the, the practical and like just, just doing little, yes. mm, little tweaks and little, little fixes of like the background stuff is not there. But everything the actor is touching, mm-hmm. everything the actors are splashing mm-hmm. around in, and all that kind of stuff is really yeah. there. You're not dealing with like all this fucking water simulation bullshit that is, yeah. as you said, Matt earlier, expensive and really difficult to get right. Yeah. Because, and again, as you said, Tim, to kind of tie all of our arguments together, <laughs> human faces is the big thing. If you if you don't absolutely nail a human face, and that's basically impossible, you get the uncanny valley thing. Mm-hmm. Water is another one because humans know what water looks like and how it moves <laughs> and how it shines and how it refracts light and you know how you can see through it and all this kind of stuff and if you don't nail water you get some like ps1 1997 bullshit <laughs> i mean like take the well, abyss for example like that, oh, that yeah. was the first like fully mm. animated water thing like that's that looks pretty good for the time but mm. you couldn't get away with that shit now and i think so many people try and do those big yeah it's a huge, cool CGI shot because superhero films are a thing and, and, mm. and people love CGI because Marvel is the biggest thing in the world right now. Stop it. It's, it's, I think it's tr- If you speak to any artist, I mean, like, you know, paint, pencil artist, like in that classic sense, as it were. People the, such uh, as our, our good pal John's carrot. Precisely. Artists. Precisely. There is some very natural elements of the hardest. So like, okay, paint me fire. You're like, oh, how realistic do you want it? Mm. I was like, Paint me water, paint me air, paint me smoke. And you're like, <laughs> fuck. Um, and the same thing with CGI, because it's CGI is just painting in a different canvas. And you're like, paint me fire. Oh, and we get good at it, we get better as we go along and things. You get like more samples and you just take a picture of fire. But if you're creating fire from scratch with particle effects or whatever, it becomes very, very difficult and very obvious to the human eye. Because they're very difficult things to actually simulate. Now, when it comes to actors, and I, I, I'm saying this as a director, so I'm saying this as somebody who's like, all the things are working, why aren't you? Um, and it's like, <laughs> because you, and I'm, I'm this, saying this to guys who I have directed before. Um, Hello, that's us. Yeah. Um, it, in it a is, scene it, together, no less, in your garage. Exactly. It's a very arrogant thing to say, um, but it's true, because it's like, oh, why isn't this fucking light doing what it wants to do? And you just wrangle the light and like, oh, I, I, I got it now, we can make it work. That's fine. Can't do the person. And that's what makes performance so fucking good as well. Because what you have in your head is, isn't always as good, but it sometimes can be enhanced and heightened by what other actors bring to it, which is fantastic. But if you tell an actor to be afraid, they'll go to like a library in the head of being afraid. Uh, whereas, because they, they feel there's a body and a language of what the fear looks like. And sometimes when you're actually afraid, you don't look like what you think you do. Because you've never filmed yourself being afraid before. Be afraid of afraid? This, this tennis ball on a stick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. ah. it's, it's pure acting, but it's pure theatre. <laughs> Yeah. Whereas yeah. Blair in the autopsy scene, oh god, oh, and he's just like, oh, and he just looks down and says, and, and he looks like he's given up. In the same way that the alien canteen, not the canteen scene, but alien diner scene, where they just explode, the actors are not, they're reacting as yeah. it were, and it's like yeah. that. I mean, it's, it's it's a horrible thing to do to yeah, actors, but you get it's moments real. like that where they they take it a step too far as well because uh, oh yeah, 
in the in the autopsy mm. with the you're talking about the like the dog thing with the yes, the, the first yes. autopsy, not the the stomach biting one. Sorry, that's uh, correct. Yes, yes. Yeah, they they used real entrails of yeah. of cows and horses and shit that they just had from the local from a local butcher. So like, John Here's all the offal. just carries around with him at all times. <laughs> <laughs> just just a bag of offal, just in case. As like, there's a reason Wilfred Brimley is like, oh oh god. I don't know what I'm looking at. There's a dog's yeah. face. It's like he's literally digging a dog's face out of literal entrails covered yeah. in Rob Bottom's slime. So it's like it's no wonder he's horrified. Yeah. The actor is probably actually horrified about what he's having to do. I mean, also, they're in the middle of nowhere in Alaska. It's fucking freezing. <laughs> Going back to the Godfather, that's an actual horse's head from a Yeah, from it a is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, that's a cool prop. No, motherfucker. That's a, and the thing is when it's real for an actor. It's terrifying. I mean, you get it across on camera, like, oh, nope, nope, no, 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 no. And I think, I'm not saying actors can't produce that. Obviously, that's the nature of acting, not documentary <laughs> filmmaking. We're but... suggesting that actors can't act now. We've gone very meta. <laughs> I mean, no, it, it, but the truth is sometimes you, you, you're you so ingrained in the performance that you forget what it is to be in the, in the moment, as it were. And that's a very wanky thing to say, but it's painfully true. And the thing is with CGI, you're going to get a very specific tailored performance from that person. And I'm okay, no, no bashing to Mary Elizabeth Winstead, for example. Her being afraid in like 10 Cloverfield Lane or other films which have been in that that had that sort of requirement is no different to what she's in the thing. There's nothing new in her performance, in mm. my opinion. Without and I'm not insulting her, I'm insulting the the uh, the thing she's afraid of in 10 Cloverfield Lane that I don't want to spoil and talk about. The thing. Mm. The thing is not the same as her being terrified of a really suddenly almost polar hairpin turn John Goodman. That's fucking terrifying mm, on set yes. because he's an actor and he's like, oh Jesus Christ. And you're, you, you jump in your seat because they jump in their seat because it's real for them. If you're doing an autopsy scene or something's unfurling behind you, yes, of course you can use your imagination to get into that mindset, but really, I, I know it's, just, it's such a stupid thing to say because I'm saying it's all pretend, but that's filmmaking. <laughs> but that's true. It's, it's what it is. But if you have something practical, it's just an element. And, and I know theatre will say, well, actually, a one man performance <laughs> on stage where you have just the man in a chair with Patrick Stewart doing the whole of a Charles Dickens story. That's true performance. And you're like, yeah, sure. Sure, I get that. But that's also mime. And fuck that. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, like uh, the, the, the kind of famous saying is acting is reacting. You know, mm, uh, right, and, yeah. and and you know, the, the, there's a reason that monologues are considered the really hard thing to do is because you're not reacting to anything. You know, so yeah, precisely. Yeah, it's and it and it's exactly the same with reacting to a tennis ball on a stick versus reacting to a physical prop that is actually in the room. Yeah, that's why you're made of actual animal entrails. <laughs> Do I need to say that again? <laughs> Actual dead being. I mean, the the alien, uh, the, the autopsy that Ash performs in Alien mm. is full of like oyster bits, and it, it's just it, lo it looks great on film, but also more importantly, it looks good for the actor. And I go, yeah. Oh, it's disgusting. Yeah, and you just go, I can't be in the room with this fucking thing. I can't. And you're, wasn't it? Um, David Warner when he was doing the Omen. They made this, and it's obviously not a perfect recreation. It's a waxwork of his fucking head. Mm. But he would not be in the same room as that fucking thing. <laughs> he was genuinely terrified of it because it was so weird and unhinged. It's like I can see my face in it. I'm not happy with that. I'm not going to. I sit. can't imagine seeing like a, a bust of myself done, and then it's like got an alien exploding out the side of my own face or whatever. It is. Like, <laughs> yeah. That must be that must be really well, weird. It's, it's like time travel and seeing yourself as it's it's the uh, the Back to the Future. I'm old. 
world and doing that sort of fainting thing. Yeah. It, it would be such a, a warped thing for your mind to. Um, Is that un- to uncanny valley to the like yeah. the nth degree? Like you Hence can't you even process out. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the practical effects were fantastic. They were wasted by the studio. Age old story. This film should not have happened. I also, and this is going to sound real fucking bad. Oh God. In an age where we are trying desperately to produce without feeling shoehorned and feeling the appropriate thing to do to diversify cast and crew. One of the biggest mistakes of this movie is including women. And I hate saying that because it feels really oppressive. So the nature of the original is crucial. I, I think so. Again, <laughs> also hint, hinting at my pitch here, but yeah. like, yes, I think you can include women if you address that thematically. Precisely, but Precisely. they don't, and and it's a huge thing. Like, I know Carpenter didn't said he didn't necessarily go in with the plan to do this. Oh no, but no, it's, no, it's seen as this is a big like penetrating horrible monster that is attacking a bunch of blokes and this is an analysis on masculinity and the fact that like none of them can recognize when each other is the thing is because of like the shield and the barrier that like hyper masculine men because they're all like big american dudes and all this kind of stuff i mean they're not like you know they're not arnold schwarzenegger and stuff but they're they're 80s men Mm. where they have they have this barrier up where they don't talk about their feelings and stuff and maybe mm. if they knew each other better and if they communicated and stuff like that, they might be able to see when the other guy is a thing. Mm. But by the end of it, Childs and McCready don't know the other one's a thing because they don't know each other well enough because they don't yeah. open up to each other. So it's a weird, like, and, and Carpenter said, like, that wasn't his intention, but he likes that interpretation yeah. of it. Like, that's an interesting way of looking at it. And it is a, it's an analysis on masculinity and how that is not a, a good way of going through life, yeah. basically. And then it's not a healthy way of communicating for this group of people. And it's the fact also, that it is an entirely male cast really kind of gives you that way to analyze it in that way. Yeah, because it does a lot. I, I think, as you said, I don't think it's intention at all. I think it's a, it's a byproduct. And I think there's a, a lot of different archetypes of American society for men specifically, and how all of them are fucking useless with each other. They don't think, they don't plan, they don't communicate. They just lash out, almost caveman style. Like, Why do you give me the gun? Don't talk to me like that. And it's just like, what the fuck are you doing? Be you. Some of you are scientists. Some of you are. You're all expertise. You're all there for a reason. You are literally, you know, men of science, Prometheus style. Mm. Why are you all fucking animalistic idiots? They're and it's like because scientists. Yeah, <laughs> classic Jack catchphrase. <laughs> But it's because they're afraid, and that's the point. And without mm-hmm. that presence of rationale, or fuck it, if you want to go a different route entirely, the idea of maybe, oh, I'm, I'm doing it to protect the little lady, that kind of old, out of fashion, antiquated bullshit, it still adds an element of, um, or, or, or that posturing even, just the, the element of, I'm trying to show off to the woman in the room, that kind of thing. If you're doing that, it has a very different lilt to it almost immediately. I think there's a lot of that actually in 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 the thing prequel as well, because you've got the sort of, we're going to push a love element here. It's like, sure, fine, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, but the point is, is also you do have a diversity in ethnicity as well. So you have a bit of a squaring off and you've got, Child is seen as this massive fucking hothead. And he's like, 
I'll take the gun and said, oh, my dead body will have the gun. And I think, is that a racist remark? Are you mm. worried about him having the gun for a reason because he's black? And mm. then you've got the, the captain in charge, basically, who feels like an old, he's almost like a Western style sheriff as more than a, like a cop, but he represents sort of old 30s, 40s sort of mindsets of how things are done. I mean, that's a bit extreme, but you know what I mean? He has a bit of, a bit of pre-war to him and that's sort of like he has, he's got his old fucking revolver and stuff like that. And uh, they're all equal in that regard. They're all terrified and they're all, they, they all can be imposed, but they're so incapable because of all the flaws of their masculinity mm. of actually fixing and resolving this problem. It's like an escape room in like, I, I haven't watched it, but I'm pr- no, I have seen this episode. It's like a, probably an escape room in uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, um, <laughs> where it's like, we're not actually going to escape the room. We're just going to battle each other based on the, the conditions that we've set ourselves in our head. And you're like, yeah. Now, I'm not saying you cannot do it, but I think the thing is somehow weaker because by, again, I hate that I'm saying this, by adding that element, you change a dynamic and then that should be fine, except this whole film isn't about changing dynamics. It's about recreation again. So recreation by including new stuff, it comes twisted yeah, and contorted. It, it's, it's the lack of commitment, I think. They, they try and do two things at once that yeah, are yeah. contradictory and they fail at both Clash. because of that. Yeah, Because the thing is, it should just be all, and I hate to say this as well, in considering you know, the 80s and in Norway, probably should be all be white dudes. I'm not saying it should be, but it's like, it makes sense. And it's like, what's the worst environment you can think of? A room full of white men. <laughs> That's never been truer. <laughs> in these day and age. Well, it has been, but it's always true. White yeah. men are terrible. Yeah, yeah I think, I think that, that, that the fact that they introduce female characters and they, there isn't really any commentary in the film on it, not, not in terms of how... The other character, like she's a bit condescended to and stuff like that. You didn't come here to think. Yes, I didn't bring you here to think. I didn't bring you. <laughs> you flew her ten thousand miles yes. because she's yeah. a fucking specialist. Yeah, you literally brought her here to think. Otherwise, why the fuck did you bring her here? I mean, eighties <laughs> films at the time, they probably would. I mean, not eighties people, eighties films. Yeah. You would have brought a scientist in, and it would have been like you're here for uh, just you know to entertain the lads, that kind of bullshit. But. Yeah. Sorry, Tim. But yeah, but they also the, don't do that. Yeah, the characters don't really talk about it as much as they should, and the film doesn't seem to have a viewpoint on what the presence of women like does does would or would do to the the original kind of thing. You know, it, it, correct. It, again, it's that it's this weird. It hasn't picked a lane because it, because I think yeah, there's definitely there is something. It's a bit like Lord of the Flies where. You know, you have there's something very deliberate over the fact that it's all men, you know, <clears> and and, uh, you know, Lord of the Flies. It's like, yeah, they're, they're, there's a reason that they're all public schoolboys and they devolve into fucking <laughs> yes. violence and stuff like that. You know, there's there, there is something fascinating about taking these kind of men who are quite rigid in their masculinity, but they also are supposedly these kind of paragons of rationality because they're scientists you know, and engineers and that kind of thing, and exposing them to something that is, com- in a way, is completely irrational. Like you, ca- mm-hmm. the, like you cannot treat the 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 alien. It's f- it's form 
defies mm. ra- rationality. And there's something fascinating there. And you know whether or not it was deliberate, it is very much ingrained in the the fabric of the original film. It's it's a byproduct. Yeah, yeah. You can't get around it. And and if you're going to change those things, then you have to be changing them for a reason and have the film reflect that. And this film, the 2011 film, just does not. It it doesn't have a viewpoint. You know, and it it it's similar similar stuff to like it changes obviously one of the the kind of the major differences between 82 and 2011 is that from the very beginning in the 2011 one because the the alien has escaped from the ice and they brought it there knowingly like they know from the word jump oh there is an escaped alien yes there is not the the need to convince people um in or, or to a much lesser degree, I need to convince mm. people that there is in the original. Mm. And I think they did that because they didn't, A, kind of the storytelling requires it, the, the, the nature of the setup in, the, in, the, in 82, but also it kind of distinguishes the two films. There isn't that creeping dread at the start that the 82 version has of kind of the, the audience knowing that something is out there but the characters not necessarily knowing it. Yeah. But again, I think they they make that change because they have to and then they don't really think about how it changes the nature of the film. It just means that it kind of speeds up the storytelling process. They don't think about how that it, it changes the shape of the story that they're telling. Again, I think the prism comes back to Alien 1979 mm. where you have here's a group of blue collar men and yeah. also Lambert and Ripley. Lambert is the oh god quintessential screamy woman who can't deal with it. And in terms of how film producers have seen and d- depicted women, and then you got Ripley, who's a hard ass who follows the the company line, and it's like, well, you unthinking bitch. They're the two options you have for women in cinema. Then you have the same thing in Aliens, where it's like, well, you got Ripley, the bitch, and you got Vasquez, who might as well be a man, right? Because she's like, you know, hey Vasquez, women's favorite men, nor have you. And it's like, oh, ha, ha, ha. and also. The corporal, whose name I completely forget. And then you get, um, or the pilot, whatever his name is, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. And then you've got, uh, oh, and sorry, and Newt, the child. Um, but then you've got in Alien 3, no women again. Ripley's back to what happens when you put an environment full of no men. So you have this idea of that, 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 that environment created by a, a group of dudes, basically. I think that the thing it did it as a byproduct it was an accident, it wasn't an intentional thing, but it was a very important part of it. And again, to not address that is to not understand what the original is. And did you know Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character, Kate Lloyd, was purposefully changed from her, the original, how she was in the original script, where she was basically a female MacReady, to be, and I quote, inherit the traits of Ellen Ripley, yeah. unquote, <laughs> which she does not. <laughs> no. Ripley's Cause, a tricky one because she's, she's pushed the industry so far forward and then become a, well, we've done it, guys. We've made the one other archetype. It's like, <laughs> exactly. Shit. Yeah. Everyone, every woman now is a Ripley because then we're feminists and everything's fine. <sighs> yeah. Give so. her glasses, now she's smart. Oh, God. And then she takes them off and she's pretty. And, yes. it, and then she Let's does a her bit, hair down. Does, does one bit of karate and so she's a strong female uh, character. Now let's just sideline uh, her for the rest of the film. Problem oh, solved. God. Scarlett Johansson. So, um... <laughs> Scarlett O'Hara. <laughs> There's a point in this film, just as a very last little point here before we get to fixing and all that sort of stuff, that I thought was both brilliant, not as tense as the original, and the more I thought about it, the more I hated it. 
And it's a point that we bring up, or, or, or we, but people bring up as a defense of the film, like, that's actually pretty fucking smart. And it is on a first draft mindset. The concept that the thing, when it replicates people, purely organic matter. Mm. Yes. Very interesting. So suddenly they do a fillings test. Say, oh, do you have any fillings? And it's like, brilliant. And that's, that isn't nearly as tense as the blood test, which is fucking brilliant. Mm. But it's still something like, open your mouth. It's like, I don't it, want to, it, I don't have to. It's, it's one of my favourite scenes in that film. For it sure. is, because yeah. it's good. And it feels more like the idea of, it's, let's face it, it is what it is. The, the contemporary example is, hey, are you a Jew? And it's like, I don't have to fucking tell you that. And there's an interview with uh, Louis Theroux, for example, that says, hey, Louis, are you Jewish? And he says, I'm not telling you. Because if he is or he isn't, he's fucking irrelevant. Even if he says, no, I'm not. And I've, the fact that he's, if, he's, if he says that, whether it's true or not, or why vice versa, it's, it's a hunt that is not necessary. You don't need to know because it sh- shouldn't change your opinion of me as a person. That kind of thing. And I think this is the same mindset. Show me your feelings. I'm not fucking showing that. Fuck you. And the difference here is obviously there is an actual genuine threat in the room. There's a real actual threat. And so someone who doesn't want to all of a sudden, in the same way, like, give me a blood. I'm not fucking letting you cut me. Fuck you. That, you know, Joel Edgerton's character is... Um, yep. This is, this is a fucking spoiler and I do No, fuck this. Spoil this movie. I apologise. Feel free to jump ahead about we're, literally we're, 20 We're seconds. not spoiler free on this show. We've never just been spoiler case, free. Just in case. I talked about the alien in the ship and shit. We've talked about the whole film. That's true. The, he's exposed at the end of the movie and it's because he doesn't have an earring anymore because it cannot replicate inorganic matter. I hate that because I love it as an idea. Of course he can't, he's a fucking alien. He's not like a, just, he's not a Star Trek replicator. He's not getting like all the clothes and things. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Except in the original, Charles has an earring. And the which whole- means, Which means Charles isn't a thing, right? Well, I mean, to be fair, you, you see him in the thing, he can't really hit you see because his collar's so high. And yeah. also the ripped up clothes and stuff, and it's all shredded and stuff. And it's like, right, so is it, is it naked and then finds clothes? Or mm-hmm. is it replicating yeah. clothes? So that, one was- That's implied as well, yeah. Yeah, so all that stuff is there, but then like, no, I don't like it. You've kind of fucked it. I don't like it because also things break, like the glasses break. It replicates the glasses. I don't, I don't. It's such a small thing, but it's the when you start, as Tim said, mentioned right at the fucking start, we'll be doing this. When you start quantifying the law, the mystery, everything gets, starts to get really filled in, and you say, I don't want to see that. I don't want you to tell me what the, these things are because when you do that, I end up going, You're right. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> And that's the problem with sequels as well, but prequels especially. So yeah, it's, it's one of those things whereby it is a very commendable fix, and I really like it, but I fucking hate it. That's all. So before we get to fixing the thing, 2011, before we get to fixing the 2011 thing prequel called The Thing, before we get to fixing the 2011 prequel, The Thing, I want to let you guys know a little bit about Stitch Premium, because if you're listening to this... You're probably a fan of podcasts. So, <laughs> yeah, why not get a dedicated app for you to listen to your podcasts on? Not only do you get a dedicated app instead of using some higgledy piggledy bullshit from some other music player or whatever you want, no, not naming any names, you can build your own playlists, select your own episodes, build, subscribe to hold shows and get every single episode. And if you really want to upgrade your experience, you can go to Stitcher Premium and you get bonus episodes, you get exclusive content, and you get ad-free shows as well. For just $4.99 per month, you can get Stitcher Premium. Or if you want to go annually, you can do $34.99 per year, which is even cheaper. And if that isn't enough of a deal for you, then you can go to stitcher.com 
slash premium and put the checkout code of sequelizers and get a free month added onto that as well of the Stitcher Premium experience. So why aren't you doing it right now? It's a bargain. <laughs> get on that shit. Because they've got to freeze themselves um, before they can uh, take over the world. Ah, yes, that's why. Yes. It's too hot. Yeah. It's too hot for them. <laughs> that's the that's the that's the sequel, isn't it? It's like uh, aliens arrive and they want to freeze themselves, trying to oh no, they can't. The Arctic is in fact uh, now a, a a lush, verdant forest. <laughs> <laughs> it's all melted and they're all fucked. Yep, it's June. Yeah, predators will have a field day though. They love the heat. That's what we get. That's what you fucking get. Either it's freezing and it's the thing, or predators. So it's that time in the show before we get to the actual pitch to discuss some Rotten Tomato scores. And as you know, it's not a score out of 10 or anything like that, or a score out of 100. It is a percentage of positive versus negative reviews, which is more than half. So just in case this is your first episode hearing us doing the Rotten Tomatoes thing, that's how it works. It's and I'm going to get, get Matt and I'm going to get Tim to guess for The Thing 2011. The Thing. 1982 and The Thing from Another World 1951 <laughs> Shit. interesting so yeah let's start let's start with the modern one let's go let's go nuts shall we let's reverse chronological order because fuck it why not any guesses gentlemen for the 2011 prequel I'd hope so otherwise there'd be a lot of dead air <laughs> just ask saying just, just leave it mm. nope 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 and then the show stops <laughs> Given how much affection the, the 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 original has gained over the years, I think most people, most critics, are going to have a pretty dour view of this. But like we said earlier, to people who haven't seen the original, it's functional. It's fine. I'm going to say sixty percent. That's pretty okay. good. Okay. Yeah. I, I think Tim is on the, the the completely right lines. I think people go, "Oh, it's a disgrace! Not what an utterly pointless thing to do." It's like, yeah, but it's for a thirty-year-old film for a contemporary audience. We love the thing, but not a lot of people might have seen it. You have usually you have to get introduced to the thing. You don't just find it fucking on TV. But I think there's probably more people who'd be outraged. I think there'd be more reviews from specific like horror reviewing sites and, and publications and stuff I would really drop it. There's, there's plenty of those around. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to halve Tim's then. I'll say, what, do you say, what do you say, Tim? 60. What was yours? 60? Mm-hmm. Fuck it. 30. Okay. The John Carpenter classic, the 1982 The Thing. Really tricky because it wasn't received well when it came out. <laughs> it, it was not. But I, I, I think contemporary reviews are going to vastly outnumber now. On Yeah, exactly. That's really tricky. So, so it has 64 reviews in total. Um, all right. I, I, I will say 82. 90, yeah, go 1982. 82. <laughs> 1982. I'm, I'm going to go higher. That's fair. I'm going to say 90. Okay. And the wild card. <laughs> 1951's Vegetable oh, Man, <laughs> aka The Thing from Another World. So as you might have guessed, the most modern of these films has the most reviews, and the oldest has the fewest reviews. Yeah. So I don't know if that influences you, but uh, no. any suggestions or any guesses for the 51, The Thing from Another World? I'm guessing you've seen it, Matt. 
I'm, yes. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think we talked There's about it before. There's a really good fucking fire sequence. There is, yes. They just chuck like what you think is water and it's fuel, and it's like, oh fuck, that's, yeah. that's a stunt <laughs> thing. That's really fucking cool. Yeah. Just watch Again, that one scene. Practical effects, funnily it's, enough. <laughs> it's, it's mostly it's just 50s. talking. It's a lot of exposition and talking in a room. It is, it's like, yeah. This is fucking dull. Which is kind of how I, a lot of like very young, inexperienced viewers, shall we say, might say about the thing. It's like, I was just standing around. Folks <laughs> talking, talking. Isn't it? I mean, in a way, yes, yes, it is. Mm. Uh, talking, mm. lovely, lovely bit of talking. So, um, I, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go right out of the gate. I'm gonna say it's gonna be seventy-one. Okay, just, just a proper three out of five, seven out of ten. There you go. Non-committal. Uh, I'm gonna go lower. I'm gonna say sixty-five. Okay. The. 2011, The Thing, is a 35. Ooh, well really? done, well done, Matt. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is bad. And the audience score is not far off, an audience score of 42. I and don't think is, it's that bad. No, it's I like agree. A, I, think, I think it's 50, the backlash 60. of it being the sequel to the classic, as you yeah. guys correctly yeah, guessed, yeah, of like, yeah. it's going to have a bunch of backlash. Because as you said, it's actually functioning fine it kind of yeah, works yeah. as a film but comparing it to the first one is just yeah yes um that's 170 reviews on the critic score by the wow. way so yeah moving further back based on 64 reviews mm-hmm. or critical reviews for for the thing 1982 you're pretty close matt it's 84 percent certified fresh which that's i think so low. is too low yeah. but as you probably have correctly guessed I'm just scrolling through the reviews mm. now it w- it was not received well when it first came out yeah. so and then I'm I'm looking at a, a couple of uh, our old friends at the Chicago Reader which I believe they have uh, <laughs> they've come up before Dave Kerr at the Chicago Reader from May 2011 so I guess in in preparation for the prequel he reviewed the 82 version probably. I am looking at the right one I promise <laughs> Carpenter's direction is slow, dark, and stately. He seems to be aiming for an enveloping, novelistic kind of effect. All he gets is heaviness. Like, sure. <laughs> Can't tell if you trying to say that as a positive or a negative. <laughs> yeah, apparently, that, apparently that's a negative. Who knew? And last, but by no means least, The Thing from Another World from 1951. Yeah, yeah. I'm very sure about this one. Is in fact the highest rated of the three. Whoa. At what? 89%. What? Right? Right? What? Very interesting. I thought that film was okay. Granted, I watched it in like, probably like 10 years ago, maybe around about the same time I saw the prequel, actually, probably, because mm. I was really mm. into the thing at the time. <laughs> I probably saw it in my 20s, in the, in the 2010s. I was like, maybe that's not the best time to see it, but <laughs> 89%. Fascinating. Having said that, the, the 82 thing has a higher audience score of 92%, which I think is more... Yeah, still too low. More, more appropriate. But <laughs> as we said, it's maybe one of the most brilliant films ever made. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's a shame. Controversial picks there, I think. Yeah. yeah. Controversial numbers. But uh, yeah, 35, 80, 84 for 82. <laughs> 84 for 1982. <laughs> and 80, 89% for 1951. <laughs> Very weird. Interesting spread. Interesting spread. So. That's Jack at a picnic. Let's do it. Spread. Interesting spread. Yeah, that, that is. <laughs> some 
Rotten tomatoes ever. They may want to throw them out. <laughs> Interesting spread. I noticed you have nothing for me, a vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting spread of meats, you bastards. <laughs> well, you come to a butcher, so fuck you. <laughs> oh, there you go. All right. Jack, so, how are you going to fix this? Because I must admit, we have to talk about this. Of all the season, the thing is the one I'd be like, fuck that shit. I wouldn't <laughs> touch this with a barge bowl. I've hinted at it earlier on in the episode. This is the most difficult writing experience I've had on the show so far, mm. by a long shot. Because, as we said, more than anything else, just don't make it. If I, if I could just write in big letters across the script, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Don't make it. Yeah. But, yeah. unfortunately, uh, and we haven't already mentioned it, uh, Jonathan Firth-Clark, Patreon supporter of ours, mm-hmm. the lovely JFC, has forced our hand, the bastard. Yeah. <laughs> the, the incredibly supportive bastard. And uh, yeah, We might but, have actually said it's one of the worst prequels and then we might have had a little logical argument and said, well, to be fair, it's pretty functional as a movie. Should we just leave it well alone and not bother with it? And like, yeah, it's probably, it's probably not worth it. And it's like, hey, do you know what Patreon allows certain people to do? Take a fucking movie. Take a fucking movie. So, Fuck. Yeah, Jonathan has uh, thrown me in the deep end here. Yeah, uh, yeah. I drew the short straw. And... This sort of reminds me of the Evan Almighty episode, but mm. to a to a much. But this is the thing I actually care about, so it's much, <laughs> it's much more, di- much more difficult for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a re, I have so many different ideas, and as I always do, I come up with like three or four completely separate pitches, and I won't go into too much detail. But I, I joked about it, I think, in the group chat a few weeks ago. That was like, "Watch, oh, do like Planet of the Things." <laughs> and just go fucking mental like Marvel did with like Planet of the Symbiotes and it's just this sure. whole other world and mad shit and I was like I could I could do some full sci-fi like Prometheus style stuff and go to like the origins mm-hmm. of the alien and stuff mm-hmm. and I thought that's a fucking terrible idea I don't know the origins <laughs> of this alien thing like either like, like we're saying you kind of commit to the sci-fi this is a B-movie but modern kind of they go in the saucer and it's a whole thing kind of thing yes or you don't. And I went for the you don't <laughs> side of things. And uh, uh, as we'll kind of get into in the script, a lot of the stuff is, uh, and as we talked about, stuff like the effects is going to be fixed just by who I've got to do with the film in terms of direction, in terms of effects and stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff in the script is fixed through not the dialogue and the stuff I've written in the script. So okay. there's some thematic ideas that, um, I kind of hint at, but uh, um, we talked about kind of the 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 gender roles and all that kind of stuff. I do address. I, I that was one of my plans to address that, but it's not necessarily baked into the script and into the dialogue. So thematic things like that are the kind of things that are addressed in my pitch. And uh, I, fun enough to to call back to Alec and Stuart from back in the day. I've written a little like themes and ideas lists of, of stuff that oh, okay. I, I was I want to make sure I convey because. It may not come over in the, in the, the text without turning it into one another. My three thousand word word essays <laughs> <laughs> that I'm becoming notorious for. <laughs> so I'm keeping it in 2011. Okay, for a reason. Yes. And before I get to the title, because that's a, that's a thing. There's a oh, reason I'm keeping it in 2011. That's the thing. That's what you're calling it. That's a thing. That's, that's a thing. A thing. <laughs> It's a game show. It's a big picture of the main character going like, huh? Yeah, genre pivot from psychological, like B-movie to psychological horror to game show movie. Brilliant. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's number wang, but with <laughs> that's a thing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and next up is McCready. <laughs> McCready. <laughs> Uh, Which of these things a is a thing? Well, for 500, I'm going to say uh, McCready, not a thing. You would be correct. <laughs> Childs, is Childs a thing? Well, he's got he's got an earring. Mm, oh. that's a, anyway, who else could I bring on to do crazy horror creature effects and bullshit in 2011? And the man we have talked about a few times on this show, Mr. Guillermo del Toro. A very smart decision. That really is, because if you're going to do Lovecraftian suspense shit, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Del Toro is a great choice. Yep. And really we, me- we mentioned blending. He's kind of known for like, oh, he's the king of special effects and you call him like the king of the monsters, the daddy of the mm-hmm. monsters to him. Says it all kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as much as he is the king of practical effects, he really is a master at blending CGI yeah. with practical effects. So you think it's all practical. Like uh, pa- Pan's Labyrinth stuff, Pan, obviously, mm. Doug Jones in a big suit, has like green screen backs of his knees because his yes. legs don't bend that way mm. and they green screen that out. But he's there. He's practical. Mm. They've just, eh, just, just, just sweat out his legs a little bit. And it's that kind of shit that I need in this film. And I, you will see. Coming back to audio commentaries, his commentary on Blade 2 is brilliant. Him and, oh, yeah, um, absolutely. Snipes. And he, he's saying at one point that... Um, there are two shots in this film I fucking hate. This is one of them. CGI looks bullshit. They're yeah. leaping around like all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Which again is a dick move to the CGI, the FX guy, but it's like he acknowledges the limitations of the thing. It's like, yeah, eh, sure. we couldn't do what we needed to do with it. So I think he is a, just, just one of the best choices for that kind mm. of thing. If you're going to get someone who's going to have a good vision for it that can do a lot of interesting stuff and make a great Hobbit movie, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's Gamma de Toro. Pretty much. So I've done a tricky little thing and I've tweaked the cast ever so slightly. I've added a couple of people, I've removed a couple of people and just just jiggled things around a bit and I've kept sure. most of the names and all that kind of stuff. Interesting. Um, I remember Tim did this in a previous pitch where you take a few names from the original and you just assign new character like <laughs> roles to them. Like they are, they are the same in name only for the majority of these characters. They are, they are repurposed with... The same actor, the same name, but in a very different role, or a slightly tweaked thing. Uh, so you've still got Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Kate. You've got um, Adewale Ekinoe Agabaje as Derek. You've got mm. Kim Bubbs as Juliet. John Despensheim as Edward. Uh, Christoph Huger is Jonas. Jonas. Uh, it's a bunch of Norwegians. Prepare for me to mispronounce all this Norwegian <laughs> shit. Not my turn! <laughs> Not your turn. Stig Henrik Hoff is Peter. Um, Jan Gunnar Reuscher, I think it is. Probably wrong. Uh, as Olaf. Uh, Jorgen Langheller as Lars. And Ola Martin Auna Nilsson as Matthias. You notice, it's mostly Norwegians. Mm. That's a theme. That's a point. We'll get <laughs> into that. And they're really good fucking actors. They're not like... The thing yeah. is, yeah. There's yeah. a bunch of really good performances in that film as well. Most of the people are really good. And I think Mary Elizabeth Winstead can be really good if she's yeah, given a yeah. thing that isn't, uh, uh, I guess she's in Ellen Ripley because she can't be McCready. Um, yeah. Spoiler alert, she's not Ellen Ripley in this because I'm not a fucking hack. <laughs> <laughs> I am, but not like that. The, the fact that they got great characters with the, sorry, let me try again, my apologies. The fact they got great actors with 
kind of bland, forgettable characters. I mean, the, the the everyone in the original thing has a quirk. And you said about, you know, every little individual name, things that at the start, they're just generic bearded white guys. And then you start to get, no, oh, that's the guy with the dogs. That's the scientist dude. He's the doctor. He's the old timey dude. I get it now. I get yep. it. It falls into yep. place. That's how you get to learn them. These characters don't have that. You have the, he's the guy who like nationalist which, pride which, wants to go back as a hero. slightly bearded, possibly <laughs> Scandinavian, possibly British yeah. dude, is he? And then more Game oh, of Thrones. Oh, right, oh. okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's the guy from Game of Thrones, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and the rest of them. Yeah, the guy from Dumb and Dumberer. Exactly, yeah, yeah. But I think um, you'll notice that I have removed uh, Dr. Sander, Ulrich Thompson, who is the Danish guy who plays yeah. the leader of the thing. Um, basically, why is he Danish? <laughs> what the fuck has that got to do? It's a Norwegian research station. Why isn't the leader... Norwegian. I, How weird. Yeah. The director's Dutch, so I wonder if uh, he just said, eh, fuck it, Northern Europe. <laughs> eh, Scandinavians. Apparently Danish people do can often like speak Norwegian, or it's a similar enough eh, kind of sure. kind of language that they can kind of understand. European each other. proximity means you yeah. tend to have a bit of a and, and interestingly yeah. enough, the character's name is uh Hal Sander Halvardson is more like from what I read, don't mm. again we'll get corrected in the Discord from our Norwegian. To Discord. Halverson spelt like that with the O's is more Norwegian than it is Danish. So I was like, mm. did you just accidentally cast the Danish guy because he was good? Like, what is happening here? This is maybe so it's, weird. Maybe it's an do that. It's just... thing. Like, mm. he's speaking Norwegian with a Danish accent or something, so they mm. made him Danish. I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's, it's Sean Connery and fucking the Untouchables. Irish! <laughs> <laughs> sure. Close enough. Um, or, or alternatively, Banshee in... The X Men First Class. It's like, why mm. don't you get an Irish guy? There's one right there, Michael Fassbender. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've also narrowed down the cast. We've taken out, also taken out Carl, who is uh, one of the Norwegian girls. I've recast him as uh, as an additional kind of character. But okay, there's a focus on the fact that it's majority Norwegian, and that's one of the theme series. Is as I will go into. Mm. Um, I've removed Colin, the British guy, because he does literally nothing in that fucking movie. <laughs> Uh, Jonathan Lloyd Walker is fine, but he basically does nothing and is just there and, yeah, doesn't really do much. Um, I'm introducing two new characters. I've recast Carl, in name only, essentially, bringing in one of my favourite character actors and, funnily enough, a Scandinavian bloke, but not Norwegian, all the oh, way from, from Sweden, <laughs> Mr. Stellan Skarsgård. I love oh, me yeah. some Stellan Skarsgård. I get it. Um, and... God forbid I make a Guillermo del Toro movie mm. and I don't cast Ron Perlman as <laughs> Carter because Joel Edgerton can fuck off. Yeah. He was boring and uninteresting in this film and in a lot of the films he's in, I don't like Joel Edgerton. I, I think I think he's a he's a one step above a Jai Courtney or a Ooh, Scott, or a Scott a Eastwood or a fucking what's the other Sam Worthington all those generic oh, no, white no, dudes no. that all look exactly the same <laughs> don't, don't like Edgerton I think he's boring I get it, and generic I have to disagree yeah can you name me a good Edgerton performance to go and check out because Warrior ah see he's fine in Warrior I think Warrior's hugely overrated I, I took Warrior a bit too seriously because I was hugely into MMA at the time I think so it's like, oh, that's okay, not so how that works cut angle turns up Oh, he is as a Russian. Yes, that's fair. Fucking He's. Hell. Have you seen a film called Bright? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Well, yes, I have, Matthew. Funny you should mention. No, I like him. He's in... shit in Bright as well. 
He's fine in Kinky Boots. I like him in The King a lot. Um, I have not seen The King. I know he's we have a different opinions of like um, Midnight Special. I think he's pretty good in that one. Um, but um, Animal Kingdom, meh. most importantly. Let's get rid of him. Ron Perlman's great. Let's get Ron Perlman in. I mean, I'm not Ed- saying Edgerton's, Perlman, but, com- yeah. again, completely different character. Ron Perlman's like 30 years older <laughs> than yeah. Joel Edgerton no, dude, at dude, this point. But I'm not going to challenge it. Go, go get, in, get in some Ron Perlman. We need some, speaking of which, some fucking masculinity in this. Ron <laughs> fucking Perlman. And, and that's my cast. So I've added a nice. Swede, an American, taking out most of the Brits bar one, because Adewale um, Adebaya is, is British. Sure. Um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is the, the American, two Americans, her and Ron Perlman playing Americans. So, yeah. and, and Juliet is French. So sure. Kim Bubbs is French, Juliet is French. The rest are Norwegian. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of a, as I will address in my pitch. So, it is called The Things, plural. Doing an Aliens. Yeah. I'm doing an Aliens, exactly. And also, there is a version, and I don't know if you guys know this, but it was fascinating me doing this research. There is a audio drama, audio book, however you want to describe oh, okay. it, that's released as a podcast called The Things, which is a fan-made thing, but is mm-hmm. like considered as one of the best things in the the thing canon, if you want a better phrase. <laughs> Fucking hell. Uh, yeah. It is, it is a short story mm. telling the events of the 82 film mm. from the perspective of the creature. Okay, interesting. Interesting. It's really interesting. It's controversial as hell. It's weird. It kind yeah. of, it brings, brings a religious religiosity to it that I'm mm. not entirely on board for but it's sure. a very interesting it, it, it suggests that the creature is like bringing salvation to them by welcoming them welcoming the humans into it's like hive mind thing and it's all kind of yeah it's a bit mad but I, I like the title it's alien to aliens yeah. I know it's a prequel but yeah no no, no. I think, I think yeah. that works as, as a concept when it's it comes better to than like the a thing brackets yeah, 2011 yeah, fucking same thing again it's fucking yeah. I was thinking it was going to be um Thingaling a ding dong, but uh, you, you know with that, so I'm a little surprised. That's fine. I, I thought you were gonna set it in the 50s and have it be that thing you do. Oh, very good. <laughs> or that thing that does you, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's the tentacle version. Ah, <laughs> uh, Japan. Good lord. So let's get stuck in then, shall we? I'm ready. I'm ready. I haven't read this. I'm. I'm. I'm excited. <laughs> it um, will address some problems and. Maybe not some of the other problems, but we will we will debate and argue at the end of it. A handful of snowmobiles plough through the Antarctic snow. They come to a stop and nine hooded figures climb off their vehicles and begin their trudge through the snow. One of the men, Derek, pulls down the scarf covering his mouth and shouts to the person leading the group, asking how much further it is. The group's leader, Edvard, answers that it's not far and that Derek should get his camera ready. So at this point, Derek is the cameraman and mm-hmm. Tim... Your found footage idea. <laughs> I've got I've got a camera in my pitch in the thing. So let, let's let's just keep that in mind, shall we? I'm, <laughs> okay, I'm stealing okay. stealing your idea because I've got no, a camera. It's a very good idea. <laughs> uh, well, they'll do like Clovefield and just like pass it off to each other as each one dies, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Derek shrugs the backpack off his shoulder into the snow and begins unpacking his camera equipment. Edward calls out to the two men leading the group, Jonas and Olaf, telling them to use their drilling equipment to begin testing the icy ground under their feet. Jonas and Olaf begin digging through the snow and tapping the harder ground beneath. After a few taps, Jonas's tap is answered with a metallic clang-clank. 
Everyone stops what they're doing as Jonas looks up to Edward with a big grin on his face. You know that grin where Giant's Bane looks at oh. Gwendolyn Christie's character? They're yeah. like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> his, his grin from Game of Thrones. Yeah. Oh, I saw it as a, a Bill Paxton. Let's open this safe from the Titanic and get rich. <laughs> and things come out. <laughs> Olaf grabs a shovel and frantically begins digging near Jonas. He quickly receives a clank of his own and they dig out as much as they can before it becomes apparent that it's part of a larger object buried in the ice. Jonas cheers loudly, exclaiming, I told you so, about his earlier discovery. Over the next few minutes, the camera cuts between the view from Derek's camera, the same VHS footage seen in the first film. Uh-huh, and the there crew- you go, found footage yeah. in a way. See? <laughs> Referencing the stuff. Yeah. John Carpenter's crew- not, not in this one, I'm afraid. He's too old. <laughs> I mean, is it literally the footage from the first film? It's literally, not literally, but it's... Ah, a replication look, of it. A replication it, yeah, of it, yeah. Okay. yeah. Marking the area with flags and placing it and detonating the thermite charges. Nice. They got thermite, <laughs> there you go. With ice picks and drills, they try to access the saucer but are unable to break through its exterior. They manage to carve out a chunk of the ice, seemingly with something inside. and begin Something pulling... you can't see. <laughs> no, there's no little nope. claws and hands you can see in this chunk of ice, thank you. It's all misty shower curtain window stuff. Exactly, exactly. Illusion of presence, yeah. And begin pulling it up the ridge using the snowmobiles. The block of ice is excavated and the team prepares for a photo and a toast to celebrate. As is the thing in the original yeah, 82. Yeah. Yeah. Before he takes the photo, Derek spots a snowstorm approaching and calls out to the group and tells them they need to get going soon. Derek takes the photo and we see the film of the photo itself melt, matching the iconic title reveal of the original logo and spelling out the title of this film, The Things. So it's literally like a Polaroid thing and it goes, mm-hmm. and you see like... And they froze, and it's, it's, it's the photo that they find in the 82 film. And they're got like, it, hey, a big old block of ice. Mm-hmm. No, and, it goes, awesome. and that all like melts away and overexposes and burns, and then the things in, in the cool things yeah. font. And you probably sort get a phosphorus style burning through the screen. Exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. yes. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Cool. The night's celebration includes pool, darts, and lots of drinking. We learn the dynamics between the crew, where the seven Norwegians, Edvard, Jonas, Olav, Henrik, Peter, Matthias, and Lars, are the majority, and are a very close-knit group who have been at the base for the longest time. While most of them speak English, they often speak in Norwegian to exclude the foreigners from their conversations and joke about the others being newbies, as they joined the station a few months later. I like that. I like you have a language divide and things mm. like that, because you need it. Yeah. Hunt for October style. Yeah, exactly. The yeah. Hunt for October was a bit of an inspiration there. Oh. And the fact that, like I said, the leader is Danish for no reason, and there's a bunch of other nationalities and stuff, but they call it a Norwegian station. Mm. I want to bring that sense of... It's the 80s as well, so it's like mm. there's a bit of xenophobia going on there. There's a lot of like... Sure, you know, they're, sure. they're a tight-knit group and all this sort of stuff. You also have the language barrier in the fucking 82 film where the shooter doesn't speak English and shouts at them in Norwegian, mm. so they kill him. And yes. fun fact... He basically tells them it's a thing and it's not a real dog. Yeah, like, he translated, does, yeah. he's like, get the it's hell brilliant. away, it's not a dog, it's some sort of thing. Yeah. It's an imitation, get away you idiots, and they shoot him. Yep. Whereas if there wasn't the language barrier, so you kind of have to have, and they, they address it in the prequel, Lars, mm-hmm. who ends up being the shooter, doesn't speak English. Yeah. A couple of these guys don't speak English for that reason as they yes, walk exactly, into exactly. the film. Yeah, so, I, I, yeah I've got them. I, I, I didn't understand why they didn't play that up in the prequel, because when you're... If you're trying to play up a sense of paranoia, having people speak in a language you don't understand, it's really going to help with that. that. 
That's yep. exactly what I'm playing on. And again, that is something that is not necessarily said out loud in in the text mm. of my thing, but that is very much something I want to play on. That is mm. the paranoia and the tension I want to build in this is using that nationality and language barrier stuff to help build that tension and misunderstanding and stuff like that. So, Which of course, Del yeah. Toro, with being a bilingual individual, would know this. He speaks of... like five different languages or something, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, that, that's a big part of this. So, mm. yeah. Juliet, a French meteorologist, is thoroughly beating Derek, the British documentarian, at a game of pool, while Kate, an American researcher, eggs Juliet on from the sidelines. Carter and Carl are quietly sitting near the window, smoking cigars, throwing scraps of food to Carter's dog and staring out into the snowstorm. So you've got the two older guys in the group, basically. So you've got Palman and Skarsgård, kind of, they're outsiders to the Norwegians, but they found a bit of kind of they're the old school, older dudes hanging out, smoking cigars, probably drinking J&B whiskey, <laughs> <laughs> being on brand and all that kind of stuff. Sure. So, yeah. Eventually, the celebrations wind down and the team go to bed, the storm continuing outside. While everyone sleeps, the ice block left alone in the storage room begins to slowly vibrate in time with the heartbeat-like synth of the thing theme. Moob, moob. Moob, moob. Etc. Cracks appear and quickly start to expand. There's a moment of silence before the ice collapses in on itself as an unseen shape. Unseen emphasis, shape, emphasis on thank unseen. You. Yes, yes. Leaps yes. from its imprisonment through the roof and into the snowstorm. Carter is woken by the noise, but hears the howling wind outside and shrugs it off before going back to sleep. None of this fucking big spindly alien bullshit. <laughs> just it's just a blur and it's gone. Nothing. All right, unseen. Sure. Unseen. <laughs> in the morning, the group gather their equipment to return to the saucer site, but before they head out, Edward does a head count and notices that Olaf and Henrik are missing from the group. Lars and Peter say that Henrik and Olaf often wake up early to check equipment, but they're usually only gone for 10 minutes. The two Norwegians who don't speak English, Matthias and Lars, go to check the icebox room and find the wreckage of the creature's escape from the night before. Edward tells the group off for not bringing the vehicles in from the snowstorm, and kicks one of the vehicle's fuel tanks, demonstrating that the petrol can freeze at these temperatures. The noise receives a clunk reply from the other side of the main building. Everyone is stunned into silence. Henrik calls out to Olav, but receives no reply. Edvard kicks the fuel tank again with a clunk, clunk, and once more receives a mirrored reply of clunk, clunk. Carter draws his pistol and leads his group towards the sound. They're greeted by the back and butt of a naked Olaf, covered in snow. Olaf slowly turns towards the group like a marionette being controlled by an amateur puppeteer. His bones creak and crack as he unnaturally moves, letting out a muted scream of Henrik before collapsing. Yeah. I'm doing some real weird, creepy special effects stuff there. Of, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think Dilshaw is yeah. a good choice. There. I like the imitation clunkings as well, and the, the, mm. the, the form of that. That's, mm. that's quite smart. Learning how to communicate. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah, exactly. Back inside the base, the group gathers around Olaf's body. Peter, the group's doctor, checks Olaf with a stethoscope and announces that Olaf is still alive, but his pulse is impossibly slow. When Peter and Henrik try to roll Olaf over to continue the medical examination on his bum, um, on his Olaf, butt, on his butt <laughs> Olaf's arm suddenly breaks off in Henrik's grip. <sighs> Henrik falls backwards and throws the arm off of himself. The group quickly break down into another shouting match with Peter chastising Henrik for being too clumsy. The camera leaves the room as the argument continues and tracks down the hallway to Jonas in the shower room. Good old 
button the shower, right? Yeah, lots of button this. He's startled that as his razor is knocked off the sink. He peeks out from the shower curtain and sees an empty room. He quickly turns to the medicine cabinet as Olaf's disembodied forearm leaps towards his face. Ah, brilliant. He tries to pry the hand away, but the fingers begin to creep into his mouth and eyes, pinning him helplessly to the back of the wall as we zoom into his eye. That's some good thing visuals. I like that. <laughs> yeah, it's really I, cool. I mean, that happened, it's all like merging into the skin and being yeah. all fucking creepy and gross. And yeah. It's like, oh, yep. I've stopped this thing that I know to be a hand. <laughs> ah, shit. Tetsuo! Da-da-da! The argument from Peter's lab spills out into the hall as Kate and Juliet come running, literally bumping into Jonas and he barely reacts. Peter realises that Olav's arm is missing and tells the group to get out of his room. With the majority of the group now in the rec room discussing their options, Juliet suggests a theory that links the thing in the ice block and Olav's situation as the infection waiting frozen in stasis. It could be a very old and unknown infection and the group agrees to isolate themselves. In the lab, Peter examines Olaf's blood under a microscope, seemingly coming up with an idea to test it. He pricks his finger, sending a drop of his blood onto the slide and watches as Olaf's blood seems to consume and replicate his own. Nice. He looks terrified and goes to explain the situation to the rest of the group. So it's, it's not the, the like pixel by pixel thing yeah. <laughs> from the 82 version, it's just a view under the slide. Mm-hmm. It's a really difficult sequence to do, apparently. <laughs> yeah, apparently so. Yeah. In the 80s, very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> While the group are discussing their options, Kate goes to the bathroom to calm down and wash her face and notices blood and fillings. Huh? Fillings? Fillings is back. Mm, no, I like that, yeah. In the sink. She rushes back into the room with her findings in her hand, and Peter is already explaining his imitation theory to the group. So, that little subtle thing is the woman has come up with a theory, but there's already a man explaining the bullshit because he's a man. Yep. Playing into that little That's, thing there that as works, well. Yeah. The affection appears to replicate its organic host, but can't process inorganic matter. Carl grabs a nearby flashlight and shines it into his own mouth, proclaiming his innocence. Again, replicating the kind of flashlight scene. Sure. We're held at gunpoint by Carter. No flamethrower this time, because it's never really explained why they have a flamethrower, but sure. Because it's in the original. I mean, yeah, yeah, but it's also never explained why they have a flamethrower in the original. I guess because it's some in of them, the original. Some of them, some of the. It's better than a bucket from the real original. (laughs) That's true. While at gunpoint by Carter, Carl checks their fillings and Juliet, Henrik and Kate are separated from the group. They don't have fillings or either refuse to show their fillings. Who knows? Mm. Lastly, Carl goes to check Jonas's mouth. Jonas's mouth splits open into a multi-layered shark-like maw. He latches onto Carl, flaying his arm as the others try to pull Carl away. Carter opens fire on the Jonas thing because there's going to be a little uh, kind of uh, vocabulary thing. That they, <laughs> the way the films in the scripts and stuff address each character once they're infected is the name dash yes. thing. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> McCready thing, Palmer thing, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course. So course. now that Jonas is a thing, he's, he's Jonas thing. There you go. Of course. Carter opens fire on the Jonas thing, killing him and allowing the group to retrieve Carl going to be really tricky when we get round to the character of some. (laughs) There's some and something. Everyone is panicking, trying to understand what happened and stop Carl from bleeding. Peter tells Carter that he thinks Jonas is still contagious, but heat can probably kill the virus. Oh my god, it's fucking COVID-19! It's Uh, COVID-19! Heal this heat! You burn this thing! Okay. Blow the wind of God on you. 
I love that video so much. Just I hate mad. that man. He's so mend. Peter tells Carter he thinks that Jonas is still contagious, but the heat can kill the virus. Carter grabs a cigar from his pocket and lights it. He presses it into the Jonas thing's skin, and the creature reacts violently, thrashing around and trying to escape. Blech. The creature's limbs elongate and overpower Carter, throwing him aside before trying to escape. I like the idea they don't know to keep their distance. It's like, oh, I was put a cigar. No, no, I'm too close. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Idiots. Derek grabs a nearby axe and tries to stop the Jonas thing, swinging wildly, grazing the creature, but ultimately getting his axe stuck in the door. Continuity. Yeah. The thing where he's not attacking a little hand bug monster. No. It's weird. That's shit CGI in that scene when he swings the axe. Yeah. The thing retaliates, throwing him against the wall and breaking his neck with a crunch. Carter improvises a Molotov cocktail out of that fine JMB whiskey. Sponsored by JMB whiskey. Yeah. And throws it, finally killing the Jonas thing as it breaks through the wall at the end of the hallway and dies, smouldering in the snow. Oh. So, in the 82 version, when he's sell, he just like explodes out of a paper thin wall. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's continuity, I guess. And there is a big hole in that wall in the Norwegian mm, station. Mm-hmm. So it just runs out and yeah, into the snow. Because oh, yeah. when you're in the Arctic, you don't need very thin, very thick walls. You just. <laughs> Knock up some God forbid we doors. have insulation in nope. <laughs> the Antarctica. Oh, Back inside, Carl's maimed arm has been bandaged, but he's lost a lot of blood. He's flayed and brutalized and gross. Nice. Real gross. Yeah. Carter asks Peter if Carl could be infected, and the doctor slowly nods. Carter apologizes, shoots Carl in the head. He's old school. He ain't taking no. No, shit. I like this. Like, could he be? Could he be? Or oh, he could be. Then he is. It's like, I'm sorry. We, it's, imagining Ron Perlman being like, sorry, we can't take that chance and just yeah, blow him away. He's, he's, a, he's a, a Batman, a, a, bat, a Batfleck. If there's even a 1% per chance, probably. <laughs> that's how percentages work. Yeah. If there's a 75% chance they could take over the world in the next 27,000 hours, we can't yeah. take that chance. There's a 100% chance that every human's a wanker. So what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. The group explodes into arguments once more about what to do next. Carter waves his gun around and argues that he should kill the potentially infected people right now to make sure it doesn't spread. Kate tries to calm him down, while Peter tells them to gather the lighters, fuel sources and welding torches as sources of heat against the infected. So they don't have flamethrowers, because that, makes, that makes no sense. These are, there, there are no military people here. Yep. There are welding torches instead. Carter agrees with Peter and gives weapons to Lars and Matthias, a sign of trust despite their lack of English to guard the potentially infected group while he takes Peter to gather torches and fuel. Carter and his group head outside to gather the supplies, and they see fresh tracks in the snow, heading towards the helicopter. Edvard, having snuck away in the chaos earlier, is sitting in the cockpit, panicking and flicking switches. He's caught by Henrik, who had also escaped during the fight and tries to stop him, tackling him through the chopper and into the snow. Edvard fights off Henrik and severely beats him with his bare hands. He collapses onto Henrik, sobbing at what he's resorted to. Carter and Juliet hear the fight and come running, finding a transforming Henrik in the middle of consuming and merging with Edward, which is the split face thing, the yeah. merging gross scene. Actually, is quite good in the 2011 one, it's if they awful. didn't ruin it with CGI. And yeah, the, the original one with the animatronic one's quite cool. Yes, so, yes. Yeah. Carter shoots the newly formed split face thing, but it continues its transformation and sprouts. Spider limbs, because the thing loves fucking spider <laughs> limbs. 
Humans flee back towards the building as Lars and Matthias come out, firing at the pursuing thing. Carter and Juliet run inside while Lars and Matthias are thrown aside and through a wall by the split-faced thing. Carter finds some of the gathered fuel cans, but he is greeted by a transformed Kate thing attacking him. Carter's lighter falls to the floor as he manages to knock over a nearby fuel can. Juliet picks up the lighter and throws it. We cut to the view from the lab in the other building. It's a little side building. I checked, I checked the blueprints. <laughs> as the building explodes into a huge fireball, killing all of the inhabitants and hurling the split-faced thing into the snow outside. When you were reading and I was like, the newly formed split-faced thing continues its transformation, I thought, he better not do what I think he's better to do. You didn't. You said, oh, new spine limbs. Continue splitting. No, no. Yeah, splitting until it becomes wings and it becomes hawk thing. Uh, <laughs> I was like, how are we back here again? The camera follows a trail of blood into the next room, the radio room, to find Peter trying to contact Outpost 31 in vain. His Outpost message, 31 is the base the, in the yes, 82 version. The American one, that's yeah. right, yeah. His message ends with, all crew infected, no survivors. He hesitates, looking at the bloody razor in his hands before raising it to his throat. Outside, Lars and Matt, he's also very scared looking. Um, he's he's like, very scared looking. He's yeah. very scared of it, yeah. Outside, Lars, I'd be pretty fucking scared if I drew a straight razor to my throat. I was like, ah. Yeah. 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 Because he just kind of, in, in the deleted scene, he kind of just goes, you see him slit his wrists, and then he goes like, blah. And it's, it's like a huge fucking wound, and he just kind of goes like, blah. <laughs> like, no, you're like, Chopping away See, your fucking neck. Yeah. Acting and reacting. Sometimes you got to just kill an actor. Acting. Okay. I'm making snuff movies. Outside, Lars and Matthias are still alive after being shoved by the thing and go to inspect the burned building. The split-faced thing twitches in the snow and the pair drag its body away from the building and pour more petrol onto it, continuing to burn to ensure it's dead. That's where the Americans find it. It's off the side of the building in a little yeah. fire pit that they found. Yep. <coughs> He enters the remaining building and finds Peter's body farting. He enters the remaining building and finds Peter's body alone in the radio room, his throat and wrist slits by his own hand. Carter's Carter's Malamute has also survived the day's events and sprints away from the base into the snow. Lars tries to give chase on foot. The only survivor, Matthias, climbs in the helicopter and beckons Lars to join him, leading directly into the opening chase of The Thing. The 1982 The Thing, not The Crow thing, The Thing. From Another World. I am very, um, first of all, impressed, because this is a fucking daunting-ass task. Mm. I find it interesting, because you have literally, I believe, possibly two options in front of you when you come to writing this pitch. One, you do what you do, and you basically just try and fix an okay film. And yep. you've done that well, in my opinion. I think, I think this is more engaging. Like more... I said, I, I, I thought about going buck wild, as is, as is the That's the other way. option. Doing so, yeah. like you're doing an entire thing of like um, alien senators saying, We must go to the planet Earth and transport this deadly prisoner into the ice 10 million years ago. Yeah. And they're all played by Nicolas Cage. Um, <laughs> um, but I think that, that's a really hard thing to do in, in the same way that in the last season one of the hardest things weirdly I think might have been Tim's pitch on Escape from New York because we hadn't seen what another Escape from sequel would look mm, like you go yeah. literally do an Escape from LA and do the same thing again or go as Tim did off the fucking chain <laughs> um, I, but I think it's, it, this, is a, this is a difficult one I think you've done, you've done very well with what it is uh, salvage what you can make it work make it the recreation it's supposed to be, fill in the little yeah. problems, and yeah. I think you so, um, still get derided for it. And I think as I, you pointed I agree, out... I agree, I agree. Yeah. 
because it's Del Toro doing a passion project and a lot of practical effects, people would say, like Dr. Sleep, like, this is pretty fucking good. I don't think I needed it, but yeah, I'm okay with this. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's, I think, yeah, that was kind of what I'm not to say, like, I was aiming for mediocrity, but I was aiming for that kind of like, yeah, okay, yeah, that, that, that. And you mentioned Making it earlier, it like, yeah. when it when it honors the original and 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 plays with those themes and ties into it nicely and all that kind of stuff is where I want to keep it. Basically, I trimmed all the crap and the stuff that doesn't make sense and the stuff that I feel undermines the tension in the first one. Where it's like, oh, okay, it's just sat in a fucking car at the end of it, I guess. Like, what? Why? No, you need to kill everyone here. Otherwise, there's potentially another thing out there. Yeah. You need to wipe the fucking face of, you need to nuke the things from orbit. Yep. Or, you know, and only have the two Norwegians who get in their helicopter to survive and the dog. Because otherwise, there's more things, which is not yeah, good. You have a blueprint. And yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You, you, I know, I know it's always a problem with the prequels is you know where it ends. Hmm. But, and, I could have gone Buckwild and I did have a whole, um, uh, not to compare it to this film, but almost like an alien versus predator kind of thing where the thing is being transported essentially on a prison ship and that's what crashes on Earth and all this kind of stuff. And I had some some plans there, mm. potentially tying it into a sequel. It was going to be prequel into sequel, kind of like mm, your, okay. your, your 299 yeah, 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 <laughs> to th- to 299 to 301 pitch, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and do it that way. But I thought, I don't think that honors the original enough. No, no. And I love the original oh. enough. I want to kind of, yeah, I want to I honor it without feeling derivative, but I really, really struggle to not feel derivative. But I think, I think my main thing is like playing on the different tensions and the themes of, so it's not the theme of masculinity, it's more focused on the language barriers and the xenophobia. That, that, and you'll notice this group are very vocal. Like, I, I repeatedly say, the group explodes into arguments again. <laughs> Another fight occurs, because the, the Americans are just like, brittily staring at each other, drawing guns at each other, <clears throat> wielding yes. a flamethrower and like staring into the distance. This is a totally different kind of tension. This is kind of like, I'm imagining it very like, quite energetic compared to the original, mm, going sure. for a, a different kind of vibe in that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely, definitely did not want to show a fully transformed monster, for want of a better phrase, the splits face mm. thing is kind of my big culmination at the end, but until the end, because <coughs> I want, as much as this is a prequel, I kind of want it to be the thing's origin story because it can so perfectly replicate humans in the 82 film, oh. this is it learning how to be a human in the prequel. That's which good. Is, like which that. is yeah, why I have it, that have it like communicating with the clunking, it, it trying to speak, which happens in the first one, you know, when he collapses into the, and just goes like, makes that horrible screech and they set him on fire, like the, the first oh. thing with the big gross hands and stuff. Mm. Um, it's that, mo- it's it, learning how to be human and how to adapt and things like that. It doesn't instantly just go, bam, I'm a human now and you've got to worry about it. It's like, it's a human and then, oh, it's elongating or it doesn't quite walk right. And Olav's, it realizes like, Olav's body is too cold. Humans can't survive the cold in the same way that I can. So I'm really stiff and uh, oh no, I'm fucked. Which is actually a thing I took from the things, the, the short story yeah. slash audio drama. It talks about like, why are these creatures here? Their bodies are not adapted to this environment. Mm-hmm. What the hell are they doing? This terrible thing covered in hair and 
pointless small limbs and it's like just like really derogatory towards human anatomy and i'm like yeah human anatomy is kind of terrible for the antarctic so <laughs> it's let's play that up it's trying to like almost evolve in front of them and try and like adapt the human body to be more and then eventually it learns oh i need to blend in oh i can no longer blend in they've they've spotted me i need to kill these fuckers sure and then yeah that's kind of and a, and a couple of things happen off screen as well uh, there's a theme of like because the tension is hopefully so high and the, and the camera would be quite close and quite like tense with the arguing things you don't notice that a couple of characters have snuck away there'll be cuts of that hey, blah, blah, blah. Oh, he's drawing a gun he's shouting at him he's dying in the corner meanwhile two other characters have snuck off one of them might be infected one of them is not one of them is oh uh, uh. and by the time you notice they're gone they're infecting other crew and stuff like that so yeah yeah i think i think like like we said so many times like you have your hands so tied with this because mm-hmm. if you're going to make it so that it connects to the original, like you have that environment that has to be recreated, you know, yeah. you know, how many other prequels have a sequel that literally walks through the set of the other? Yeah. <laughs> this is exactly how it happened. <laughs> and, and, and purely by the set, you know, it's in the Antarctic. Like, it's not like there's going to be other people just who happen to wander yeah. in. It's like, yep. no, you have the you can't, people... You can't just introduce characters willy-nilly. Yeah, you have the people who are on that base and they all end up dead apart from the two who chase it down, you know, and mm-hmm. the dog. Um, and so I think you took the right approach here of just taking, like, a, a, a better director, getting rid of the stuff that contradicts, that, you know, for all their care in certain aspects, they did not take in in other ones. And and I think that the the language barrier thing makes so much sense um, because that is a thing that, you know, that, like we say, dooms dooms them at the start of exactly. 82 thing. It, as you said, Tim, it's amazing they don't play that up. Yeah. Because yep. in, instantly, as soon as I thought of that, like, right, I'm focusing it on the Norwegians. It's a Norwegian base and those guys get killed because the Americans don't fucking speak Norwegian because, of course, they don't. They're Americans. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, playing up on that was the whole thing. And, and again moments in the script where they would be shouting at each other in Norwegian mm. and like Carter or one of the, you know, an American, you can imagine Ron Perlman being like, I don't understand a goddamn thing that's coming out of your mouth and all this kind of stuff. Like <laughs> I just saw wave, waving a gun around. Like, well, that, that too. Chris Tucker shows up. Um, <laughs> Do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But exactly. That, that, you're right. That's entirely it. I mean, even like Inglorious Bastards has the same sort of thing where you, you have that, um, same divide of uh, proximity and, and language, and it's a very universal and relatable thing. I I, I would uh, I would make one tiny tweak to it. In fact, mm, please, uh, the dog speaks. I would make <laughs> <laughs> just just to oh, heighten that shaggy. heighten that even more. I would have Kate be Canadian, and then you can have her. And Juliet, French Canadian, uh, yeah, yes. speaking nice, like nice. French. Just throw, an, just to throw another language Very in there. Good. At a certain point. I like that. Yeah, yeah she's like a chimera that. who speaks all. <laughs> cool. No, that's that's I like good. That. I like that. That's really good. Um, one thing I did notice is that when uh, we have the the morning off uh, after where the the alien has escaped, mm. we start out with uh, Olav and Henrik missing. And then Henrik seems to just kind of reappear uh, about halfway through that paragraph. He, he does, yes. 
is there any explanation or does he just kind of wander out of the base he just with, does. With, with little so maybe maybe a character would address that but yes he i have purposefully right. made him appear out of nowhere yeah because he's a thing <laughs> Fair <laughs> he's enough. Al- he's already a thing yeah and this is again him kind of like he said he says Olaf, but that's all he says at this point. Yeah. He calls out for Olaf, but just says his name. Yeah. So he says one word, and the group are so focused on. My plan is the group and the audience will be focused on the mad shit that is happening. Yeah. Hopefully, they don't notice. Like, hey, that guy just showed up. Yeah. They, I think I think there's a way you could address it later on. But yes, yeah. that was a that was a purposeful mislead in the script. I, I had a, I sense. had a feeling it was. I just wanted to yeah. like double check. <laughs> I had a couple of those moments. I had a fucking nightmare making sure I killed the right Norwegian at the right time <laughs> and being like, right, is, is, who's alive? Because Lars and Matthias have to... Sur- they're the names of the survivors from the yeah. 2011 yes. blah, 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 by the way. Also, Matthias just... We didn't address this. Matthias just shows up out of nowhere with a fucking helicopter at the end. Yeah. I th- yeah do you like- think the, heli- the helicopter would be an important thing? It's like, oh, it's just refueling the helicopter. Yep. Yeah, there's like what? one one line in it earlier on where yeah. they're like, oh, well, our helicopter's not here at the moment because it's refueling. Yeah, yeah. And they do the whole thing. I, I appreciate in the 2011, they're like, oh, we need to cut off all communications and stuff. And I did think about having a scene where I, I cut a few scenes. This was originally quite quite a bit longer, as is as is my way. I cut a scene where they were more involved with the snowmobiles and stuff, and they're trying to like cut off the unwire them, cut the wires so they don't work and stuff, so mm-hmm. none of them kind of escape and all this kind of stuff. I thought, well, they try and do that to the helicopter as well. So you have Edward trying to escape on the helicopter. So by the time people think about the helicopter, you're like, oh, they're already fighting over it anyway. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you have this moment where Edward being the leader, he, he has become so paranoid, he doesn't trust any of his men anymore and beats uh, Henrik. Mm-hmm. I, I I will just kill myself. That's fine. Right, each each of us takes it in sure. turn to have technical difficulties. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. Tim, you had your audacity crash. I had my microphone fiasco. Yeah. Whatever the fuck is happening with Matt's recorder. God. Um. So yeah, I, the, one of the main things I wanted to address, like I said, is the terrible CGI. Mm-hmm. I magically, as is my power as a time-traveling, <laughs> universe-altering sequelizer, say, Oi, studio! Fuck off. Guillermo's the man. Let him do his thing, all right? Leave, leave him to it. He knows what he's doing. So that, that, the little things like that that I hope would fix some of the larger problems and some of the you're not here to think dialogue can fuck right off as well because they are all, and I emphasize this, they are all scientists in this apart from Carter. He's basically there as like a security thing in case something goes wrong, in case they're attacked by a seal I was like, uh, I had a really great idea as well. Really fucking great idea of a thing polar bear. I was like, <laughs> that would be fucking amazing. They're on the wrong pole. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I'm like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I thought about that as well. Fucking hell. Mean, it's happy feet, I, but the thing. I think you mean penguins. <laughs> ah, oh, penguins. Thing Thingwings. Thingwings. Peng, peng things. Yeah. All played by Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Oh, I'd love to see a, a polar bear's face explode. But I was like, <laughs> in, inhabit the Arctic I'd love circle. i to see a polar bear's face explode. <laughs> With all the tentacles and crazy shit. And, oh, no, I get it. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, inhabitants of the Arctic circle. Like, shit. Okay. 
guess I'll, I guess I'll have to stick with the boring old humans then. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, like I said, I had a few different versions. I played around with a few different things, but I do feel like I tidied it up in a few ways and tweaked it in the right oh, ways yeah, and things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I, I do worry that it's kind of, again, playing too close to the original and doesn't quite live up to it because, I don't know, it's one of the best films ever made. But... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I feel like I, I paid more attention than they did in some ways and less sure. hardcore mad attention in other ways. But I would like to maintain that kind of rebuilding of the of the station to the you know meticulous detail and all this kind of stuff. Mm. And fun fact, the destroyed Norwegian station in the original is the last thing they shot because it's the actual station they blew up in the big explosion <laughs> at the end of the film. It's uh, the same sounds- set again just redressed mm. and covered in snow because <laughs> they actually blew the fucking thing up. So, yep. yeah, yeah. So in actual fact, they're the same place. <laughs> I think I think you've, you've, again, done a good fix here. I think also Del Toro has been trying to get In the Mountains of Madness off the ground, this Lovecraftian thing, for so long, except it can't work because it's too close to Prometheus, oddly enough. It's one of those things when Prometheus came out and said, shit, it's too close, yep. can't do it. Um, and subsequently... Um, this might sort of scratch scratches Lovecraftian itch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Man, a Lovecraftian itch is the worst kind. It oh. opens into mouths and tentacles. Yeah, and then just starts spouting racism. <laughs> Talks about eugenics. I will put a link in the uh, show notes for the audio and the text of the things. By the way, because I highly recommend that for everybody. Um, and that was an influence in some ways on, on my pictures. And I like to shout outs to my pictures and influences and. All that kind of stuff. So, yeah. It's uh, produced by Escape Podcast or Escape Pod. Let's get it. Mm-hmm. Sci-fi, Escape Pod. Huh? Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it, uh, highly recommended. It was recorded a few years ago, but the, the audio is still good. And the, the voice actress who voices it all is really, really good as well. And yes, it's a lady who voices it, Matthew. Themes. Mm, acting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It is quite, needless to say, it is quite traumatizing and pretty hardcore and extreme because it's the thing told from the thing's perspective. There are some choice choice words in there. So, (laughs) so, uh, yeah, be aware of that going in, going into it. But it is is really well written, really good. And, uh, yeah, Peter Watts is the the writer of the things. And, yeah, it's cool. So that is my fix for the 2011 The Thing. I turned it into 2011's The Things. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Jonathan, I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I'm sure you'll send angry messages on the Discord if you didn't. <laughs> and angry messages on the Discord if you did, because that's kind of your thing. So that's, that's what the Discord's for. Passion. passion. Exactly. We inspire passion in our listeners, which I appreciate. Um, if you want to have a go at me for ruining The Thing and ruining the pinnacle of science fiction <laughs> horror, uh, you can message me on all kinds of social media. I am JLW Chambers on all that stuff. If you want to message the show as a whole, we are sequelizers on all of the social medias and all that good stuff as well. Matt, if they want to contact you on social media, how can they do that? You can type into your, your Googles, your Earth Googles, uh, Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z, and a bunch of stuff come up, Twitter. Instagram, that kind of thing. You can go to theredrighthand.co.uk and read the reviews I write about films. And you can go to cheeseman.com and see the stuff that I make, which we've recently got a, a little bundle of uh, nominations for, award nominations at the most recent festival. So that's really fucking cool. Outside of that, 
quite a lot of fillings. No piercings. Ah, okay. Don't, don't like don't like piercings. But you got tattoos though, so. Yeah, but the thing can imitate that. Oh, actually, no, it's ink. No, no, it wouldn't it? That's, that's, that's bionic. Uh, by, by, uh, organic? Organic. Is it? Biomac. <laughs> yes, yeah, biomaterial. Yeah, ink is, yeah. It's not, it's not metal. I mean, you might be able to, if you did tests on it, because essentially it would it, it would probably just look at a tattoo and think, oh, that's just coloration. It's a pigment of the skin, yeah. yeah. Pigmentation, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you, yeah. Like losing a birthmark yeah, or something. Yeah, so you might, it might, you might be able to tell apart with some testing, but... Uh, hmm. We don't want any things around. Or do we? Tim, are you a thing? Uh, no, I'm not a thing. I've got fillings too. So. Uh, show me, Tim. Ah. Show me by putting my. Put, put them. Put, put my mouth next to my put, mouth. If it, Pull if them if out. There's one thing we've learned here. Uh, it's, I might be the <laughs> thing because I ain't got no fillings or piercings or tattoos. Oh, I am fuck. fresh as the day I was absorbed Rep- by the replicated. monster. Replicated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The sack you push yourself out of. Um, if you want to find me yeah. on social media, I am on Twitter as trivia underscore lad. Uh, that's the hub for all the things I do. Um, because even though Twitter's a terrible website, it's uh, mm. it's where I've it's the sunk cost fallacy, and I've been on there for a long time. So you know, yeah, it's it's slowly doing some not good, but it's doing things like about fucking yeah. time, <laughs> but uh, very slowly. But yes, uh, and of course, if you are able to support us monetarily, you can go over to patreon.com slash sequelizers, where you can join at a variety of levels and gain a variety of benefits, uh, ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, bonus content uh, that we produce that is includes outtakes, it includes commentaries, it includes uh, basically whole extra episodes. Fun little quizzes that we like to do as well. Exactly. We have one for this little, this episode. Uh, funny little weird little game shows that we make up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you can go all the way up to the level of uh, executive producer and, like Jonathan Firth-Clark did, uh, request a specific film for us to sequelize or prequelize in this case. Mm. Even if you can't support us monetarily, we do appreciate everyone who listens and... Um, if you're able to go onto Apple Podcasts or whatever app you use to listen to, uh, and give us a, a rate and a review, that also helps us uh, helps new listeners find us, bumps us up using the uh, mystical algorithms of the internet. Or just replicate your friends because uh, you're a thing. We know yeah. you are, yeah. and uh, then just all start yeah, listening. That's me. Problem solved. Yeah. Spread spread yourself like the thing. You're fine. Oh, it's a sexual thing. Yeah, you heard me. You heard me. And of course, Spread yourself like the thing. Speaking of executive producers, we've already said about Jonathan Earth Clark, but thank you for supporting us, Jonathan. We appreciate it. A little golf clap for you. Of course, Mike Salvia. Thank you very much, sir. Have a little salsa there, Matt. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and last, but certainly not least, Stuart Bain. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week for more prequelizing goodness. We'll see you then. <laughs> yeah, fuck you too.